Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll and happy new year. 2020 is officially over. We can put this shit behind us and move on to what's sure to be a much better 2021. And I can't think of a better way to start this new year than with a laugh from Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan and his trademarked and patented joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Check it out. I've been switching around the labels on my wife's uh, spice jars. Uh, she, she might not know anything about it yet, but mark my words. The time is cumin. Thank you very much. Thanks to Duff for starting our year off with a laugh or a groan, maybe. Happy New Year to Duff, Susan, and the kids. Hopefully, uh, we'll see Duff and Guns N' Roses back on the road later this year with every band, the Stones and Metallica and Kiss and Fozzie, playing live again in 2021. But today, we got a special celebration to a great guy. It's the life of John Huber, Brody Lee, Luke Harper, Big Rig. Um, as everyone knows, we lost him suddenly right after Christmas after a long battle um giant loss for his wife amanda and their two sons brody and nolan huge loss for the AEW family for the wrestling fans for the wrestling business for the WWE friends that he left behind and you're going to hear today uh, that brody was a great talent an incredible man a, a great father and a husband friend person he was funny he was sarcastic he uh, was very wise intelligent great worker in the ring everybody loved him he was universally loved uh, much like Eddie Guerrero and Owen Hart before him, just the outpouring on social media has been through the roof. But so many people in the AW locker room wanted to share their stories and memories. And, uh, well, here's the lineup. I talked to Chris Harrington, uh, AW Vice President of Business Strategy and Brody's longtime friend, almost from childhood in Rochester, New York. Brandy Rhodes remembers the first time she and Cody met John on the indie scene, or shindies, as he would say. Marco Stunt shares the story about the picture he posted of himself and Brody on Instagram. Evil Uno and Stu Grayson talk about Brody coming to AEW and basically save the Dark Order and making them into a formidable faction and not being able to be a part of it because they were stuck in Canada for the first three months due to the COVID lockdowns. Uh, Excalibur and referee Bryce Remsburg, great friends of Brody, recall their time with Brody on the Indies. Arn Anderson explains why he refuses to call John Luke Harper and what it was like for him during his final days at WWE and why they never pushed him higher. John Silver and Alex Reynolds from the Dark Order with stories about their BTE skits and trying to make each other laugh. And you're also going to hear from the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick, who bonded with Brody over Twitter DMs and had so much in, in, in common with him. And, of course, FDR, who knew Brody from the WWE very close to him. Christopher Daniels is involved. Basically, half the locker room, and there's so many more people that wanted to say things, but it's a great show, a great tribute. So get out your Kleenexes and... Uh, Hold your uh, hold your your fists high for just a great guy. The celebration of life for Mr. Brody Lee, right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. So, one of the guys that I've known for a while that is 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 one of the oldest friends of Brody Lee is Chris Harrington, who is the Vice president, vice president, another another VP. Yeah, you do a lot of work here, and you're very valuable to the company. And I remember when Brody first asked for his release publicly from WWE, I contacted him and talked to Tony about it. And Tony said, "Yeah, Harrington's like one of his best friends. Like he's been talking to me about it as well." And um, we talk about today being a tribute to Brody and, and everybody coming in and giving their thoughts and memories. And and to me. Like I told you earlier, I've been through this way more than I would have liked to have. Mm -hmm. But today is different because 
this tribute show is not just in name it's the whole show mm-hmm. is involving brody and it's going to be tough but it's also very therapeutic yeah cathartic cathartic me. exactly um and i know chris that, that we've spoken earlier this week i mean this obviously has hit you quite hard but how proud were you of, of brody when he finally came here I've, I've always been really proud of John just because, and I'll call him uh, John. Please. Just uh, and you guys grew up together or? His cousin and I went to high school together. Oh, okay. And so uh, when we were all getting really into wrestling, uh, like all kids of that era in about, you know, 99, 2000, we, we, you know a guy, right? And so we knew a guy that had a ring. And so we pooled our money together to rent a ring. And then we went on like the local radio station and told everyone like, hey, come down here and we're going to do a show. So we did a show. And like, if you know, Colin Delaney, yeah. and people like that, they were with us. Is this us. up in Rochester? This was up in gotcha. Rochester, at the old, especially in the 2000s, pre-social media. So everything is like, it's a mystery in how to get to indie wrestling. So it's like, well, you go to the abandoned post office <laughs> and uh, ask the homeless guy and the show's going on. And so that's exactly how it was. So we did it and we needed a ref. And so we brought in Sweet Lou's cousin. Huber Boy 2 because Huber Boy 1 is his older brother so he's Huber Boy number 2 and so we brought in this 6 foot something goon <laughs> to be a ref to be a ref yeah because we're like well we don't know you can't bump you can't yeah. be part of this and uh, one of our guys Zar was like no I'm this. look at this guy he's so much bigger than us so he like worked in spots but the ref like put him in what we called the figure 2 because he's Huber Boy 2 so he'd put you in a figure 4 and then go 2 and whatnot and so he started to wrestle with us so this was 20 years ago this was like 2000 so i met him in 2000 through his cousin and he really bonded with that whole group of guys there and then that group you know we went into like kind of semi-pro is giving it a lot too much credit because that suggests any of us were professional in any way but you could tell john was going to make it in the sense that he loved wrestling he loved being that character and whatnot and he had the size and things and he loved to like he loved to be a big man doing little man moves. That was his favorite thing to do in the world is throw those goofy drop kicks and things that he did <laughs> and impress people. And so it was always a fight from the beginning of like, hey, man, you got to be more of a big man. And then he goes to Jakar and they're like, oh, we want you to be do this. And so it was always that like struggle with him. And we were so proud every time he made the next step. So, you know, first time he goes to Europe and he goes to the UK and does like, you know, the campground shows. First time he goes to Japan, he's on Dragon Gate. And then, you know, he's, he's texting you or email. Well, we weren't texting back then, but emailing you in the morning being like, I saw Otani tonight and his face washes. It was awesome. And, you know, you're proud and proud and proud. And then one day he almost bumps out of the business when his knees are shot. And at the same moment, that's when he's getting an opportunity to go to WWE. And for him, it was always that thing of like he was right at that quitting point. And then some, mm. the next big thing happened. So, you know, his wife is pregnant and it's like. What do you do? You know, do you follow your dream or do you give it up and become a sensible father? You know, right. and, you know, for him, I like to say I was proud that he did both. He was a father and he followed his dream. Mm-hmm. So, of course, those years you saw you worked with him in NXT one time, not directly, but uh, you came down and did like a little gimmick. And I remember you gave him the, the where you run. You jump off the ropes and you do the... the That's right. I came to work out. with Wyatt. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you like I think he you bumped him in the match. Yeah. And that that was like the biggest moment. We're like the guy we watched on TV in 2000, you know, now you're working with it. And a little story behind that. I remember we were going to do that spot. And I said to, to, to Bray, which guy should I do it with? He said, do it with, with the big, tall guy with a uh, big, tall guy. Do it to the guy with hair. <laughs> He's better than the guy without hair. Basically, <laughs> Rowan is without. Yeah. So that was the yeah, I was OK, cool. I forgot and, about that. So we were so proud of John through that run. And then the Bludgeon Brothers 
take off and then they you know he has that crazy um wyatt family run where you know he's doing those great six mans with the shield and and one of those was in minnesota and so i remember got you know got me some tickets and i came and sat there and i was just like this is awesome and then you go home and you're never quite sure if the show was as good on tape as it was when you were there live and so watching it back and later being like oh god that was awesome but we were so proud of him and then I eventually come to work for AEW, and I, I told this story online, and I'll, I'll tell it to you if you'd like to hear it. Please. John was the reason I got here to AEW 15 years ago, because in 2005, John was a big, big fan of Brian Alvarez and Vincent Verhey, Vinny, the Brian and Vinny show, which was on figure four, just before he even combined with Dave. It was just, he loved the comedy, and he's like, I want to do that. I want to do these, these audio, audio shows. And he's like, let's do one. Let's do one. So John and I started our, a podcast. Really? And John didn't want anyone to know it was John, so we used assumed names. So I was Zip Whittle, which was just a character I did in a play one time. And he was T.C. Watts because, like all wrestlers, he's trying to rib people. So Tom Zarniak became T.C. and Gardner Watts became Watts. So he was T.C. Watts. <laughs> and our first show was actually right after Eddie died. And he was like, I really want to do a show, and I want to talk about wrestling, and I want to talk about MMA and I'm just really passionate and so our first show is this over scripted thing where like you know the first time you do it you think you got to get everything right so you write down <laughs> yeah. almost a script for both of you to read yeah. but John wanted to do that and that was called Indeed Wrestling Weekly and we were not weekly <laughs> we talked about it, lots of things that weren't wrestling and we did that and that eventually evolved into what I did called WrestleNomics, which was then I looked at the business of wrestling and things. Mm. And that's how Tony Khan found out about me, was writing about the business of wrestling. Gosh. But I would not have been doing that if I hadn't done Indeed Wrestling Weekly and if I hadn't started it with, with John mm. Huber at that time. So I, I really do have this through line where it's like, not only did I do some wrestling and things like that back in the day with John, but the business side of it, he also came up and you know was pushed mm-hmm. me to do. And then you don't expect 18 years later when you meet someone that, Hey, we're going to be in a different position where like someday I'm going to be able to interact with you. And it's going to be in almost a employee situation. Yeah. Where one of you is in the office and one of you is a talent and you're not exactly on the same page because you both have different compete competing needs. And so, you know, reconnecting with John this last nine months, really this last year has been wonderful. It was actually a year ago, almost to this date that John came it was during Gator Bowl and wanted to talk with Tony and that. Really? And I had the worst food poisoning I've ever had. Uh, and I was, I saw John, we sat in the lobby and talked for like 90 minutes. And then he went to go see TK. And I sat back in the hotel room, just losing liquids out of every orifice in my body, um, being miserable. And, you know, later on, Tony's like, we got to do this. We got to make this work. And Great. then it was the Bash at the Beach show uh, we did in Miami. And his agent cornered me. And we just went and went and went and talked and talked and talked and uh, all night about, you know, how we were going to make this deal work for him. And I just remember that was a show where I had dressed up like with a Tommy Bahama hat yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and like this big Panama hat and this crazy thing. And, and me and his agent sat in this room just talking through, you know, how we're going to try to get this contract to work. And uh, it was one of those rooms where the lights turn off if you don't move. <laughs> so every like two minutes, the lights would turn off. I'd have to take my hat and wave <laughs> it around my head to turn it back on. And I just remember thinking like, 
I'm looking at a normal person. He's looking at a person dressed like a goofball, <laughs> and he has to take this very seriously. He's trying to be the serious guy. And yeah. to me, that's the quintessential wrestling moment. Is like mm-hmm. you're constantly around guys in spandex or, or just doing weird things that in any other situation you're like, well, this is weird. But in wrestling, you're like totally normal. Yeah. Just a day at the that's office. The way it is, yeah. And, and so that was, you know, it was all those elements. And so I I love John. I was always very proud of John. And it's so weird when you're like you're almost talking about someone that you dealt with as a, a both a talent and a friend and mm-hmm. so it, it's weird but someone told me that i had an exchange with him which i did not remember happened but it was him and me talking and they didn't know that we knew each other and he's like oh they're very friendly they, they don't seem like they're talking about work and then w- we kind of split and then i i like grabbed john and i said john i'm really proud of you and i gave him a big hug and i didn't remember that at all but somebody else witnessed it and told me about it and they're like i saw you do that and i was like I'm glad I told him that. Mm-hmm. I was, and so when you asked, like, were you proud of him? I was always very proud of him. And having him come here made me proud. And the last thing that I, I loved so much about John was how unapologetically he loved Rochester. And that's our hometown, Rochester, New York. And it's not New York City. It's not Buffalo with its sports teams and this and that. But it is, it is quintessential. The, you know... Blue Cross Arena. The Blue Cross Arena. <laughs> uh, the... It used to be the War Memorial Arena way back in the day, and you know, it's, it's quintessential like working working yeah, class a, town. Like right? everybody there's connected to Kodak and Wegmans, and it's just it's the sort of place that is it's it's struggled, and it was the thing that is easy to beat on, and mm. like and you have a complex when you're from there. Like a that's why you're so sarcastic and you're so biting, and those were qualities of John that Absolutely. I enjoyed, but sometimes I'm not sure everyone else, <laughs> you know, I live in the Midwest now, and sometimes I realize my sarcasm, people think I'm being very serious, yeah. and like, sometimes I felt like John was like that, we'd say something sarcastically and someone's like, what a wonderful compliment and I was like, oh, I don't think we're hearing the same thing <laughs> yeah. happening here, Yeah, and I, I love that about him, so I was it was great, I, I knew him for a very, very long time in wrestling, but you know, people change so much and so it's so amazing that, like, 20 years later, I could still connect to him and see his family and see how much he loved that. Like the John I knew growing up, he didn't have a family in that sense. So I love the fact that like he evolved and he still stayed the same as, as a good human that was fun to talk to. And he loved hockey. He loved MMA. He loved to talk. Like when Vitor Belfort was here, I was kind of Vitor's handler for the day. And so I was like, John, was so Tyson was here. Yes. Yeah. He, and so I was like, John, do you want to meet Vitor Belfort? And his face just got so and so I took him out and I introduced him because you know wrestlers don't ever want to be the guy right, like, right, right, trying to do it. so it's easier for the intermediaries like hey it would be great if I could get a picture of the two of you together uh, and so that just made his day uh, yeah. you know the last thing like one of the last times we were working he's like he lent me the book on Shamrock and we were like arguing over the book on Shamrock and all this stuff because he just loved he loved true crime and he loved reading and he loved to argue very smart guy Yeah, he was the only, the only dumb thing is that he loved the Maple Leafs poor guy <laughs> I said, dude, you're still stuck on that Maple Leafs trip. Did you see the Doug Gilmore, like, tweeted thing? Did he? What did he say? Just, just, uh, you know, very sorry for the past. No kidding. And, you know, the Rochester Americans and the Maple Leafs and that. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those where it's like, yeah, he was in the New York Times and they talked about him, you know, talked about him passing there. But Doug Gilmore tweeted him. That's cool. (laughs) Like, the the very last inside baseball thing I'll, I'll share is, and it, I will give credit to his agent, Jordan. Jordan says, okay, we got this deal. Let's do this deal. And his agent calls me back and goes, I have one condition. 
God, you, you've been wearing me down all day. <laughs> yeah. What is it? And he goes, I need it to end. And I'm going to feel so stupid if I get the number wrong. But he's like, I need the dollar amounts to end in $93. Because that was Doug's number. And John is very big on... The, no like, kidding. His, his email always had the number in. And his AIM name back when we had American Online <laughs> Instant Messenger. Wow. So that, you know, and so to me, that's very full circle. Where it's like, that was something that his agent was like, it's going to pop him. And then, you know, to, to see that be like, God, there's nothing more angry that makes you more frustrated when you see something and you're like, I can't wait to tell so and so about it. And you're like, oh God, I can't tell them about this. This is the one thing. Mm-hmm. And that that's, you know, it's not a dagger to the heart, but it it, it certainly hurts sometimes does, when you does. think of things like that. Just your final thought on um, on what he accomplished here in AEW uh, over the last seven months. To me, he became the guy I knew he was. Like, this is the John I've known. And he surprised me all the time. But what I loved about it was he was intense and he was chaotic. And he did the things that he would always do kind of behind the scenes a little bit. And just little ribs and little jokes like where he would take a skit that I remembered from 20 years ago. Like him doing the Conan thing with the belt where he goes, do you want to touch the belt? That's enough! And take the belt away from the guys. And it was like, that was a joke from 20 years That's ago. Right, yeah. But he incorporated <laughs> yeah. it into this intense character. And that made me so happy to be like, that's the funny, interesting guy who can talk and is himself. And I rewatched his match with Orange Cassidy the other day. And he's introduced from, from Rochester, New York. And I started to cry. Because I was mm-hmm. like, he got to be from Rochester. And unfortunately, a lot of times, he didn't, in his, his runs, he didn't get to, to have his big moment there, and he was supposed to debut in the Blue Cross Arena for his very first show, and that's a, that's, that's a gut punch, yeah. is that. So to me, it was just, he became the guy that I knew he could be, and I was so happy that other people got it. Like, you, you can't tell with the algorithm, when you wa- look up stories on someone, you're going to see more stories. So it, you cannot sometimes tell, like, is everyone feel this way, or is this just the little media bubble I'm stuck in? And so people being like, this character meant something to me. That's amazing to me that in such a short time, he created a character that was memorable and was great. And it was another guy with a beard, but it wasn't his other characters. Like, it wasn't the same person. And so it didn't feel like he just, like, changed, mm-hmm. changed his gimmick name and came over nope. and did the same thing. He evolved. He evolved. Yeah. And he became a great talker. He always was a great brawler. But the moments when, like, he came out and he just started kicking chairs and doing the Bruiser Brody stuff. He loved Terry Funk tapes from Japan were like one of his favorite things. And so like that kind of intensity. And I was like, he's finally doing that. Mm. He's in a place where they let him off the leash and that will literally put him on a leash later on. <laughs> and like, he watched every dog collar match that like he could get his hands on. And he's like, I don't like these. I'm going to have a better one. And like, he I'm, did. I'm so proud of him for that. So that's like, that's what I, that's my, my favorite thing is just knowing that people cared about what he did and he cared that he was, he was passionate about the business again because everybody has those phases where they're in it and they're out of it and he came back in it and he's like, if I'm going to do this, it's 100%. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to advocate for myself and I'm going to make it work and he did. And I'm, I, I just wish, I wish everyone could have that passion to be like, I'm going to advocate for myself in an effective way and I'm going to bring something to the table every time I do that. All right, Talk is Jericho is being brought to you in part by Mercari. I know you guys got a lot of great gifts for the holidays. Maybe your kids did, and you simply don't have room for all of it. Plus, if your house is anything like our house, I know you got a ton of stuff lying around that you simply aren't using anymore. I found a bag of phones 
the day, a plastic bag of like eight or nine old iPhones. You know, maybe the kids have outgrown it. Maybe they've gone to a newer version. I need to get rid of these iPhones. Uh, that's why I need Mercari. It's the marketplace app that makes it easy to say goodbye to your unused stuff so that someone else can say hello. It's the simplest way to give items a new life and a new home and make some cash in the process. All you got to do is download Mercari, take a few pics, add a description, and boom, the item is on its way to being sold. And there's no meetups involved when you sell. You just box it up and Mercari will email you a shipping label. You can buy and sell almost anything on Mercari, like video game consoles, games, controllers, clothing, cookware, all kinds of toys. And with over 50 million app downloads, your items actually sell on Mercari. Your stuff might be exactly what someone else is looking for. Don't forget, someone's trash is someone else's treasure. So turn your goodbye item into their hello item on Mercari. Start buying and selling when you download today from the app stores or at Mercari.com. That's M-E-R-C-A-R-I, Mercari, your marketplace. Get rid of your unwanted items and go make some money now. Okay, so I'm here with, with Arn Anderson uh, continuing our tribute to, to Brody here. Um, so I, I put together a list of people that I wanted to talk to about Brody, and, and the reason why your name is on it is in about 2015, I was working just house shows, just live events in WWE, and I worked about half of those with Cesaro and the other half was with Brody. And you were a big, big fan of Brody. This is when he was just in the Wyatt family as kind of one of the cogs in the wheel, but you saw something in him from very early on, I specifically remember that. Chris, as you know, when you're in six-mans or tags, somebody, especially on the hillside, has got to be the bump-and-feed guy. He's got to be the flow guy, you know, to make everything work. And at 6'5", 275 pounds, he's as much a monster as Big Red or, or certainly Bray Wyatt, either one. And the thing that I, I figured out pretty quickly with him was – his first goal was to make sure the baby faces got what they needed from him. His offense was incredible, but the fact is he took a hell of an ass whipping, you know, and for a guy that size, as you know, in today's mentality, not a lot of guys are willing, you know, to, to go out and get their ass kicked properly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I'm too big for that. He never felt, like he was too big for anything. Mm -hmm. And and just the fact that he was willing every single night, first thing he would say when he would come back through the curtain, what you got, Dobbs? What you got? He was wanting criticism. And that's the kind of guys, as you know, that get better. The ones that really want to know, and they want to know the truth. What would you have changed? What would you have taken out? Mm -hmm. And a lot of nights it was, what did you think? Great. And that's that was it. You couldn't you couldn't say any more. There was nothing I would have changed, and uh, it just I don't know. He's just one of those rare commodities that can go out and wrestle a Chris Jericho, feature Chris Jericho stuff, and still when it's time, rip your head off with a high boot and change gears, and everybody in that building becomes worried for Chris Jericho, mm -hmm. and that's an art. So when you saw him come in, and, and obviously he had some ups and downs in WWE, did some single stuff, then they put him in tag team, and then they didn't do anything with him for a while. Was there any reason for that from, from the office's end? Like, obviously, they can see the same thing you're seeing. You know what I heard one time? And this, Brody would have never 
made anything up or lied to me. I, and I've heard some of the craziest shit in some of these meetings that any man alive has heard. I heard one time he was told that he doesn't sound like a hillbilly, and that's what's holding him back. He's too intelligent when he speaks. Mm-hmm. And he's from Rochester, New York, by the way. <laughs> I had a had a character for him that would have been awesome and as frightening as, as anybody has been. What about the guy that looks like that, especially when he wore the, the dirty, dingy, white wife beater and it was like a little muddy even, mm-hmm. you know, some nights. What if you got a shot from, from like some guy sitting in a tree or something and you're shooting in a window and you got a single light bulb and it really looks like a primitive, almost like I'm expecting the camera to pan down and you got some guy tied up and you're torching him or something. What if that guy was sitting there on a computer and man, he's rattling away and you made that guy the Unabomber. He's brilliant. He's making stuff. He's he's going over the the injuries, he somehow got a hold of the records of all the crew that's got their injuries and what he's going to attack next and he got a game plan. Hmm. And the guy is, because his voice is eloquent, you make him a genius. Mm-hmm. How scary would that mm-hmm. guy have been? Well, when I tried to lay that out to creative, they looked at me like I had six heads, <laughs> as you can imagine. But, uh, I mean, he had it all, but that's one of the things that I heard he was told. Well, and Brody told me that himself, that, that they wanted him to speak with a southern accent, and Vince asked him to try it, and he tried it, and he said, well, you don't sound southern. He goes, well, I'm from Rochester, New York, man. Like, I'm trying. I'm not a good southern accent. Your idea of being kind of the, the, the genius giant, the intelligent giant, kind of a little bit of late 70s Bruiser Brody type of a vibe, what is kind of what Brody did here. He's crazy, but he's also speaks very eloquently. Yep. He's got the. Cause I remember Brody kind of had that. Whenever Brody would do promos, he wasn't like like in some territories. He could talk, and our Brody had the same qualities as you just said. He got to do that here in AEW. Yeah, absolutely. You know the reason that I'm not calling him Luke Harper is because he kind of let the world know what he's capable of as Luke Harper and what he brought to the Wyatt family. Much less when he brought, you know, they brought the big guy, Braun Strowman, in. Now, all those qualities that we've been talking about, he had to even be more so right. to get that guy over, you know. And it was just it was just incredible to the lengths that he would go through to make sure, you know, when they're working with the Shield or, or yourself or whoever, make sure there was a fair split on mm-hmm. the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the guy excelled at doing, and he just, he really did. But what about him being Brody Lee here? Here's why I call him Brody Lee. Thank you for reconnecting my train of thought. Here is where he got to do what he was capable of. He came out dressed nice. When they beat the crap out of Cody and myself and and Dustin and all those guys and Brandy got choked out, you know, that day, that was carnage. That was where... Man, you you do what you're capable of in someone's worst fears. Six five two seventy five is a big man, Chris. He's a big man in our business, and it's a big man in any profession. Mm-hmm. But 
when you can move like that and, and he had the offense on top of that, plus he had the thought process to cheat, man, you got a dangerous combination. And the fact that he was allowed to talk and express what he wanted to do and dress the way he wanted, you know, a nice maroon suit, he comes out, you know, he still got that beard. He still got that wild hairdo, and you know it's a facade to what's deep down in there. Is what I got from it. Well, this guy's dressed like you know to the nines, but Jesus, you know there's a monster down there, and that's the ones that really scare you. I think that's the scariest type. I think so. Yeah, that you can't see it on the surface, but there are those guys. It's like the first time I looked at his eyes, it was from a distance, and he had those cold, steely eyes, like a shark almost until I caught him coming through the curtain and when he says what you got Dubs I know you got something what you got what can we fix those eyes became so soft Mm -hmm. and so caring and what I was seeing from afar was not what I saw up close that's great a great character actor shall we say in that his real life persona was not the persona in the ring. And they say in wrestling, you know, the best the best gimmicks are your own personality turned up to eleven. This was not his own personality to play that that remember that glare that he used to have with his eyes, like a like a the eyes would be open just staring you know, a thousand mile stare. He played that psychotic murderous character and he believed it until he came to the back, like you yeah. said. And he held it for what seemed like you know, a lot of guys will start something and mm-hmm. they'll dump out of it before they're done. He had the presence of mind to stay with it, and he did, you know, this thing again. You know, mm. flipping the whiskers and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. He's one of the few, and I'm the first one. Chris Jericho's pretty close to who he really is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the Rock, real close to who he really is. Flair, Austin. Austin. Flair. Yeah. Hogan. Hogan, yeah. You know, all those guys that really got over big time are pretty close to that character except for Brody and I'll tell you who Brody was many nights I would come out of the building after having either their dark match like on the last day of a loop or something or or whatever the case may be but I'd be walking across the parking lot and some nights I would be heading to Smackdown and if he was on Raw he would be heading home and I would go you got early flight in the morning he would go I'm driving i go how far is that Oh, it's about four ninety. You know, we go, Brody. Jesus Christ! I mean, the flight that you got in the morning will probably get home about the same time. He says, "No, if I get to jump on it right now, I can have breakfast with the family." Mm-hmm. So he was going to drive five hundred miles to get there two hours earlier to have breakfast. Yeah, that's who he was. Yeah, that's what he'll always be to me because he wasn't being braggadocious about it or he didn't have his chest out he just you know hey i'd rather sit in the car all night and be home two hours early to get get to be with my family last thought about him we just saw the tip of the iceberg of what he could do as as this character um the last seven months have been the best uh work of his career in my opinion but how much more would he have done in the future unlimited Mm -hmm possible world champion material why not yeah why not and you know as we know if and i think this company would have let him you know uh 
take it as far as he could have. Imagine a year down the road or a year and a half down the road after slaughtering pretty much everybody. This guy does the right thing by the right guy, and now he switches teams. My God, what a baby face he would have made. And for some reason, right towards the end, before they quit using him and when I was still there. WWE. Yep. They turned him babyface a little bit. And I don't, I think it was, might have been when it was Bray and Randy tagging and he was like the third guy on the deal. They kind of turned him babyface and he went around with, with Rowan and worked some matches. Mm-hmm. Rowan almost killed him. <laughs> and I found myself backstage looking for a plank to hit Rowan in the head with because he's killing my guy out there. <laughs> And he would come back through the curtain, the, the two of them, and Rowan is another guy with a heart of gold, and he wouldn't have done anything intentionally, but he's just a big physical guy. And two monsters slugging it out, they felt like they had to give you what you would expect. But, man, <laughs> those eyes that we keep talking about on Harper slash Brody Lee, when he came through the curtain on these nights, it was like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> saucers for eyes it's like he said double he's killing me i said well kill him back and he would just stop and look at me and smile and keep walking wow yeah they were they were something man they were really something but i do i think the sky's the limit when a guy has the aptitude and combines it with the attitude that he wants to do the right thing by the match every single night Let's dissect the story. Let's figure out where we're heading. Let's figure out where we've been. It's real easy to figure out what to do if you sit there and talk about it and compare notes. And and he, I got a feeling, was one of those guys. All right, quick thank you to our friends at Geico for supporting Talk is Jericho. Just great people. They exclusively sponsored the ACDC episode a few episodes back. Go check that out. One of my favorite Talk is Jericho's ever. But I want to ask you a question. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. We know it is. But you know what's easy is bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Uh, so we're uh, here um, backstage once again with our tribute to, to Brody Lee, and I've got two guys that were very influenced by him in a completely different way. I'm talking about Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. And we laugh because Brody came in right when the lockdown started to become the kind of the leader of the Dark Order, which was your guys' team, but you were stuck in Canada. Correct, yes. So first off, how was it for you guys watching Brody come in and kind of take over your group and you guys were... (laughs) We're stuck uh, at home. <laughs> it was like, it was bittersweet in a sense. We were really excited to have uh, John come in because mm. we had known John since uh, 2007. We were friends back in the Shakar and CZW days. And uh, before his WWE stint, he was like one of our best friends. And then a lot of times what happens in wrestling is like once you go to a different company, you don't physically see each other. You, you, you're not no longer friends, but you don't... You lose touch. You lose touch, you yes. know? And But if you see a person... Like like John, we had we hadn't seen him maybe six years, but the second we saw him, it felt like he'd been all together. So when he came into AEW and he was going to be the exalted one, we were actually genuinely excited because it was someone that we cared for dearly personally, who was going to be in a, a leader role 
that would benefit us. So I knew if he liked us personally, we liked him personally, we were in a much better space. Unfortunately, we got really excited about the principle of him coming in. And then uh, as soon as he did, uh, the week we actually debuted him, we had to go back to Canada. And we were never allowed to come back until end of it June. It took almost three months. Yeah, almost something like that. Which felt like forever. Yeah. Watching the product at home, having no power, none whatsoever on any of it was, it was hard. Any of the storylines or the building your own stuff. We were yeah. literally watching the show knowing what our gimmicks were going to be when we come <laughs> back, you know? <laughs> it was a nightmare. I think it was kind of a nightmare period for everyone, including the people that are writing the show. Because mm -hmm. like... It was it was just never been done before, so everything was just happening in a short period of time. So Tony was throwing down shows and every week writing a new show with everyone. And I'm it sure you were very around. integral at the time too, because mm -hmm. you had been around. But uh, we were like, we were really excited. And this, uh, I, I said this earlier to someone else, but like getting to become friends with John again and having John back in our life was like having a big brother come back into the family after so long. And I feel like. I don't want to make this worse than it is, but I feel like half of my time with him had been robbed because we could not have been with him for the first three months. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, uh, knowing what we know now and, and, and rest in peace, John. But, like, it just felt like it's bittersweet to think about it because we finally got to become friends again. We finally got to work together. It was like a full loop on our 15-year career like the people we came up with were finally with us we had all made it we're all happy and you, you could see how genuinely happy he was but we had we really only have spent three four good months with him this year yeah because it felt like it ended our story ended while it had just started to gain momentum mm -hmm. when we were feeling comfortable with everything we were doing in ring outside the bts just like at the moment where it was going to only get better it got taken away so it's it's a so it's a pill that is hard to swallow because it just feels like we hadn't even started to really mm. feel like a family like we would have mm -hmm. we know how it would have been it would it was just getting better for now on and it was just getting it was just starting to get enrolled but the thing that, that i felt that john really brought to the dark order especially when you guys let's go back to june or forward to june when you guys do come back there was some cohesiveness now. It reminded yep. me of like a really great faction, like let's say the elite or the inner circle. You start to know what everyone's job is mm -hmm. and what their position is in in the, in the faction. And now that you had the figurehead, when you guys came back, you're like the the we're like lieutenants, the lieutenants, yeah. the disciples of the watch, the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It really, like you said, it started coming together mm -hmm. when 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 John came and then when you guys returned. Yeah. It's like we we finally had the whole picture. Yes. You know, yeah. finally. Yeah. And honestly, like him coming in, like he came in as a much bigger professor, much better, bigger name than yeah. us, and so it, it brought it, it brought us up a level, but it also brought us a level of cohesiveness because we. Like Silver and Reynolds were were essentially feeders for us without having much personas. Mm -hmm. Five and ten were brought in without much persona, but by being with John and John being so generous and always wanting people to do well, he made all of us accentuate her personalities. And had it not been for John leading us for for half of this year, I don't know if we would be the dark order we are today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how important was was the whole BTE and then the skits that you guys did and the humor and personality and that sort of stuff 
I mean, we feel like BTE is the reason we were still in people's mind, even not, not, not even just for the fans, but for AEW. Because in terms of in-ring matches, Dark Order was not very present on Dynamite. Uh, starting mid-July, there wasn't any real Dark Order match on the show other than Brody, uh, which you know was TNT champion and the whole shtick. But us showing personality and telling our story on BTE kind of kept us afloat with the company, I feel. It, it made people realize, okay, so this is kind of what's going on with them when they're not in the ring. And since we were not in the ring, then we needed to tell a story of some kind. And I feel like the BT showed to a lot of people also that we were not just, uh, well, I mean, we give each other numbers, but we were not just random numbers. Everyone had a reason to be. And then just John is the best example of it. We saw that, hey, he has a personality. Look at him. Right. He's, he's not just a dude. And now we started to show everyone can talk. Everyone can have fun. Everyone has uh, comedic timing. Everyone has a purpose. And without the BTs, I feel like we would not have reached a lot of people because they would just thought of us as some kind of minions or whatever, you know? I think had it not been for BT, people would not be thinking of Reynolds and Silver nearly as well because and credit to both of them. Like We had a discussion back when we were stuck at home and they were on television with Brody, but they were playing essentially background characters, much like they were playing to us too, but even more so, they started realizing once 5 and 10 came in that, oh, okay, we're, we're getting phased in the back. And we had a discussion together that was like, if we don't show our dynamic as a group on BTE and we don't push ourselves on the bit of time that we can get on our own time, we'll never get to that next level. And John obviously, like, was the great thing about John is he was he was in to do anything you know he's like hey I want to just be a mean boss okay how do we play off that well then this is how we play mm -hmm. off it this is how we play off and like BT's we we built our chemistry and if it wasn't for BT I wouldn't be nearly as close as I am I think to Reynolds Silver mm -hmm. 5 10 it's it's been a crucial piece of our well, success also almost made silver a breakout star as well it did, yep. yes. you know? i mean that was completely because of bt mm -hmm. yep. even to the point where last week he was saying uh johnny hungy right mm -hmm. yeah and i was like i know what it means but what does it mean what's well, something i said <laughs> bt i said yeah but a lot of people don't watch bt mm -hmm. it's a great springboard but now you need to bring johnny hungy on to dynamite yeah. mm -hmm. or dark as much as you can get johnny hungy mm -hmm. going because there's a 200, 300,000 people watch BTE, but now you have another million that we have to introduce. And you've shown that you can do it, like you guys said. Mm -hmm. That was the springboard to let's get Johnny Hungy on national TV now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is important stuff. And it's funny because another thing that uh, for us that was good for BTE is that it made all the Dark Order member become genuine friends. Mm -hmm. Because just working with someone, you, you get the brotherhood yeah, of the yeah, wrestlers. Yeah. But doing what we were doing, the the insane dumb things we were doing and saying made us genuinely just fall in love with each yeah. other. Now we're really, we're all really good friends and there's no one in the team now. When they're talking about us, like, hey, maybe should, maybe should we uh, bring someone new? And we're like, no, we have the family now. Yeah, this yeah. is this is a, this is our group. This yes. is we love each Sorry, other. Sorry, a tough group. Eight people is <laughs> you a know, lot there's of already a group, big group. But uh, even at first, when we uh, when they told us about Anna, we were not sure how to react to that because we were, were seven dudes being 
loud and vulgar and dumb on BTE. And now we have to bring in that girl. And we were like, oh, man, how? <laughs> what do we do here? You know, so it, it just brought us all closer. And without the BTE, we would probably wouldn't be friends the way we are with Anna now. She might not have the personality, the personality she has. Neither would John, neither mm -hmm. would any of us, really. So the BTs were great. How, let me see what the word is. How difficult or, or what are the challenges now to continue the Dark Order with, with, with Brody, not the exalted one? I think, um, I mean, we, I don't think it's something impossible. I feel like, especially myself and Sue, since we were Dark Order since day one, we've been through like multiple phases of Dark Order because mm -hmm. we had to adjust Either it's storylines changing or, or, or things not working. Like COVID, lockdowns. Uh, lockdowns. Border crossings. Border yeah. People getting put in the group without our, like, uh, without. Not knowing who not they knowing. were. And so, like, <laughs> literally, we're like, who is this person? So, like, we, I think we've always been very good at adjusting, and that's what's always that's what been. That's you have to do. You have to, right? Yeah. If, you, if you stick if to you one can't. thing, you'll never, yeah. you'll never get. You have to show that you're multifaceted, and I think this year has, has given that. Uh, has given us confidence in the sense that uh, I think we can pull through this. Uh, what does Dark Order do from here? Um, genuinely, I wish I could tell you. I, I wish I knew. Mm -hmm. yeah. Today, right now, I don't even want to think about what's coming up. I'm mostly thinking about John. John but I think, I mean, I think the, the, the most blatant obvious thing is that we need to stay as a group and in his honor his and honor, kind, of, absolutely. kind of become better... It, and this is kind of wild because, like, our whole cult group thing was that, hey, you join this group, we'll make you better. But now it feels like we have to become better wrestlers, better people for John. You know, like, we're going to – we are we now encapsulate his, his legacy. His, his name is going to be attached to us forever. And anything from now on that is bad is not a – bad thing just to us it's also a bad thing to his legacy so i feel like we have to produce the best content we have we have i feel like the cult thing may not be the, the best approach next right maybe now we're just a, a family you know we were always a family we kind of yes of course of course <laughs> but uh i mean there's a lot of ways we can go about this but i think everything is going to be under a magnifying glass because everything we do now has to be as good as what John was. Mm -hmm. Last question for you guys. What did you learn from him when he came to AEW from, from, from WWE? Um, so I, I, uh, I, I suffer from a lot of anxiety at home. And uh, John was one of the few people that I could talk to about it uh, because we had been friends for so long. And I, only, I, have, uh, I have some friends in WWE. I have never personally been in WWE. Uh, I've never worked in their environment. Uh, and I'd never really worked in an environment like AEW before. I've never, this is, other than WWE, there's no other major company, right? So if I haven't done WWE, then of course I haven't worked in the environment. And there are stresses that come with this environment that I could just not relate to in my 15 years of wrestling because I'd never, never had to think about TV, never had to think about uh, a billionaire boss mm -hmm. who, who, like, I've never had to... Uh, look up to the pe the people I look up to. Worry now. about the ratings. Or yeah, when you're or, on TV or, or or my numbers or how people are reacting or what people think of my physique. Like I've never had to constantly think about that because to me I was wrestling for me. Now I'm wrestling for my employer and now I'm wrestling for a legacy. So John really helped me kind of 
understand that like are you happy with what you're doing yes is your boss happy with what you're doing yes then what's really like that's the important part in the like what people say online about you or or, or what you think the perception of you is if someone's not telling you that don't give that don't give that that negativity energy and that sets something i never really had that negativity before because i never was put in on I, such a stage exactly I, i felt so comfortable for years and years i'm finally on a stage now that i'm out of my element and it, it feels exciting but in the same sense it's anxiety inducing because it's something i'd never done and john john had been given the short leash for so long in wwe that he understood where we were at he understood yeah. my mental state and like he was able to like he He's given me a much better outlook on on this business because uh, in the short period of time we got to talk about it and just, just being told by him once you're not here in the arena working for AEW once you're home be home don't think about it be with your family be with your friend have a good time if you want to stress wait for the day you're back here and then have that pressure of the show because it's good for you to have that pressure that to have you know nerves like oh you, i want to do well i want to be i want to be over i want to make money i want to whatever right but once you're out of here just be out of here and enjoy life and that's what he did he was a father he was a family man and he was like just do the same thing and going home not thinking about work now more than ever because our schedule is pretty nuts i mean we work like five days a month really <laughs> you know what i mean it's pretty so easy if we're if we have to worry the other 25 days at home it's gonna be a nightmare <laughs> so right. being told just chill i was like yeah you know that's a good idea <laughs> talk is jericho is being sponsored in part by our friends at nitsa so you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Eh, why bother? You live nearby. You can make it home okay, right? It's no big deal. What are the odds you're going to get pulled over anyway? Even so, what's the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly, but that still doesn't stop people from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives, especially during the holidays. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead. Get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. So we're celebrating the life of, uh, of Brody Lee and, and funny guy, great worker, goofy, locker room leader, all those sort of things. So I have I have the Bucks here, Matt and Nick. And um, did you know Brody from before? Yeah, uh, we actually met. I want to say 2008. Was it 2008? Yeah. Uh, for Chikara. Okay. And he uh, he was teaming with a uh, what was his name? Uh, I'm trying to think of the team. I I want to say he teamed with Claudio and someone else. I don't remember. That could be. Though. It, it, it was something like that. That I was. I'm probably getting it wrong. Yeah. But I was intimidated by him, obviously, because he's so tall. This big, tall, huge monster <laughs> so right? man. Like, yeah, and so we didn't really get to yeah. like know him because I think we were so intimidated by him at the time. <laughs> so we saw him around in the independent so. Yeah, and he was like the main guy. He was he was going up in like stardom. You could tell. So you mm -hmm. knew he's going to be something big. And it was like, and then as soon as we left DGUSA, he kind of came in and he became their star. So like we were always. 
we were never at the same place at the oh, same yeah, time. It right. was like we were always missing out on each other. As soon as we left Japan, with, he went with to DGSA, Japan. He yeah. went to Japan. Which one? Yeah. For Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate, gotcha. Uh, so it was always like, we, I, yeah, we kept missing. We kept him. eluding each other. Ring like, of Honor too, actually. He yes. was he was in Ring of Honor. I think right before we went there full time, mm. and then we and then he ended up going to the WWE. And it was like, man, we can't just we. When are we ever gonna you know? But you know what? Then we started DMing. You know what? We we did see him at a WrestleMania weekend. And I remember he was so nice. Like we had a a match with I want to say Shima and AR Fox was right. it? Yeah. Yep. And we saw him. He's like, God, that match was so good. How do you guys do this? Mm. How do we're you like, remember you? all those high spots? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what do you mean? You were just doing this a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Well, now I'm like doing these matches that are like dumbed down. So I don't yeah. I don't know if I can do it. We're like, Oh, get out of here. Of course you can. <laughs> right. So we we had we bonded from that, and then from there we started DMing like on Twitter a lot. But we didn't really ever see him outside of that until he got I here. I was talking to Nick about this yesterday. The first time I really saw him here, it was that the first pandemic show, right? Mm-hmm. It was we were here at Dailies. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to be in Rochester, mm-hmm. and he was devastated because mm-hmm. we had been, we'd known for months his big debut was going to be in Rochester. It was going to be a massive pop. We had the big plan. We had that what was it like a stairway entrance built for him or something? Like yep. it was this yep. big thing. And I finally saw him in the hallway, and I said, hey, man, I'm sorry we're not in Rochester. He's like, yeah, get over here, and he gave me this big hug. And I, <laughs> and we didn't really know each other in person. But you know what? A few years before that, though, like I could tell he was like ready to leave mm-hmm. because I would randomly get questions about how the uh, my like financial like state was mm-hmm. on the indies. He's curious. He was like, well, can you make this? Can you do that? What are you making per show? I was like, huh. This is weird. I, I think he wants to leave. You know the reason, yeah. And he was shocked by the amount of money that Matt and I w- were making. So he's like, that is great news to know because maybe, who knows, maybe one day I will leave. And I think I, he was unhappy for a while there. So it was like he started seeing how, like, we did the all-in show. And I still, I look back the other day because you do that, right? When, like, I look back at all my old conversations now, especially with him. Oh, it's going like, through old texts and yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's the only thing I have now. You right. Know? So, like, I go back and he was congratulating us on all-in and all this stuff. And it's like, wow, this guy's cool. I think he's ready to come play mm-hmm. with us, you know? So fast forward to that that pandemic show I was talking about here. I see him and he just gives me this big hug. And it was like within the first five minutes we were talking about our kids. Right. It's like yeah. immediately. And yeah. I was like, I was like, whoa, there's a spark already. Like mm-hmm. it, this guy is like us. Like, he is. He's a lot like you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, that was the really, first thing he yeah. said. He's like, I don't party. I'm like, what? Really? We, we, we really did. I was <laughs> like, well, come into our office, man. <laughs> we're the dorks. <laughs> Hang out with us. Because t- Tony yeah. said, he pointed out like, he even stayed at a different hotel mm. from the rest of us. Oh, so we have a kitchen right. to oh, cook I food. Didn't know that. So, yeah, he was wow. never a fourth floor guy yeah, ever. So never. that's why he was never there. Okay. Yes. He would always tell me because okay, I yeah. said, "Hey, man, are you going to be in the fourth floor tonight?" Because I go there time to time. He's like, "We kidding? I'm a forty year old man, man. I'm not going to go out there and party." I'm like, "I'm, like, well, I'm going to read a book or something." <laughs> I said, "That's cool." Yeah, said, well, I'm pretty much the same. And it was like immediately we traded numbers, and and I'm talking to this guy every day, mm. and and it became the, the fun joke was we would send pictures of our kids playing with our action figures and stuff right. and, and uh when he i remember he when would his, you say we hit it off with him more than anyone like right away immediately yeah. Yeah. Grab, absolutely wow. he was the first guy we would see come backstage we would go approach him and talk to him right away yeah. mm. it was it was a sense of humor so we, were, we were legit becoming like best friends right away it was crazy how quickly it was like sorry i cut you off that's okay whenever we talked to him though he had the same sense of humor as us he's like yeah. he doesn't take this too seriously 
we actually made fun of the people who take this too seriously. That was like our inside <laughs> joke. Like, you believe that right. guy over there? Like we just, it was almost like a little, like a, a lighthearted burial of the boys. Like, sure. That's what yeah. we would do. Ribbing on the square. Yeah, ribbing <laughs> yeah, on right. the square. So whenever we would see him, that's what we would do. We would find him and uh, and, and bury the boys together. Right, and it was right, just right. kind of a fun thing that we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you could always just see that big grin through that beard. And mm-hmm. anytime I saw him, though, man, I'm like, oh, I got to go say hi to Brody, you know. Just one he of those, had that about him, though. Yeah, like, you wanted magnetic. to go say hi to him, magnetic. even though he's so big and so tall. He, he really was like how we portrayed him here was very much like kind of what Brody, Brody Bruiser Brody, yeah. for a seventies early eighties was was always promoted as a as a giant but very intelligent, right? Sure. And we did that here, and I remember seeing him walk around in them tailored suits. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. You know, I worked. Or Marvin sent me the the list of matches. I had twenty seven matches with wow. him. In 2015, because I just did house shows, my record was 27 and 0. <laughs> but he was—he had the dirty, the wife beater, right. and the shitty jeans, yeah, and right. the weird vest. And here he is, looking like a million yep. bucks, and he really relished that. Yes, I think he loved that gimmick immediately. I think it, the reason, because he told us, it was, it was so different than what he was doing. What he's doing, he knew he had to yeah. do something different. Yeah. And when he came in here immediately, and he's this guy, and he's chewing that steak and that first thing he shot. <laughs> right. Uh, right away, I'm like, this is so good. Like We only got to wrestle him once, and it was so funny. Did you wrestle it, him here? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a 10-man or 12-man? 12, 12-man 12, 12 oh. tag. It was a 12-man <laughs> tag. And, God, I felt so bad for him because he wasn't used to calling a match like this. And I'm not kidding you. That match – it, it took, it took ten hours to call. Like, all day and in our like, office. I would walk, I would look at him, and he's just rolling his eyes. Like, what is taking is so that what we're long? Under a mask. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. And uh, by the end of it, we were like, God, we're so sorry, man. But but you know what? We put so much detail into it that the match was so good that afterward, he's like, Yeah, you know it. You you were right. It, w- it was worth every yeah. minute of this it. This poor guy, though, if you watch the match back, he does something to like his knee or quad or something, right? So. At one point, you, if you go back and watch it, you could see him like stretching his leg out on, oh, on, really? on the apron. I didn't even know Because he, he told me after that, he's all, he's all, Matt, kayfabe, but I thought I tore my quad out oh there. My God. I'm like, he's all, he's all, it's the first time I'm working the bucks and I tear my quad? <laughs> you had three spots out of 50. <laughs> yeah, but he ended up being fine, thank God. Do you remember, though, the, the I remember the telephone conversation we had where I, I had the idea of doing the double swerve. Remember yes. for Rochester? Yes. Because everyone thought Matt was going to be the leader right, of the Dark that's Order. Right. That's right. And so we were going to have Brody do it. And that's also the week where you had to go home, Nick. Right. And so we that's injured right. you. Yeah, that's right. And yep. so it My was wife was be about the, to have the baby. That's right. That's Which right. Yeah. Seems so long ago. So long, yeah. But we had that teed up perfectly. Because it was 18 with the double yeah. reveal, yeah. 25 was blood and guts, and yeah, boom, right. we were Everyone rocking. Fired. You know? Yeah. And I, but I felt always bad for Matt Hardy, but even more so for Brody, because yes. that would have been his his coming it's out. His, right. in Rochester, man. His ma- like, what are the chances? Uh, his main event. But I remember being on the phone with you guys going, this is what we got to do. And yeah, like, right. oh, this could work. Yeah. And then we had to convince Tony, but it was, you know. That would have been such, such a huge It was thing. still looking back, though, the way we did it here. Oh, it worked it was still. So yeah. good. It still yeah. worked. With the lights out and near mm-hmm. it, everyone's like, what? You yes. Know? And he cut such a great promo that I was so proud of him. Well, because like, I remember, too, one of the thoughts was, because we didn't know at the time, we'll push yeah. it back for a couple weeks. I remember he was like, no, absolutely not. Like, I've been at home for a yes, year. That's right. <laughs> We're not pushing this back. I don't yeah. care if there's nobody, if there's 10 million yes. people, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. he told me the same thing. I'm like, I'm so sure. That's what the conversation was. I said, I'm so sorry this isn't Rochester. He's like, are you kidding me? I don't care. I'm just so glad to be out of the house. He's like, I've been at home for six months. I'm ready to do that. I'm so excited. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, good, man. And it ended up being amazing. And I think, you know, as horrible the whole situation is, I'm glad that he got to come here and have a taste of, of yeah. what he knew and what we all kind of 
you never know for sure. Like, right. what's it going to be? But he was really like that match here with Mox. Yes. And the match here with Cody. It's like, this oh, is both great stuff. Yeah. He's, he's a main event guy now. Yeah, he is. Yep. Like, he's, yep. He took this, nothing against the guys. And we talked to them later, this group of misfits basically Absolutely. of the Dark Order and turned them into yeah. a legit force that became a right. thing. He, he became was the a missing link. Us. He yep. was the missing right. link. Right. Because they always had something, but then he came in and as their leader. And yeah, it was you're like, right. whoa, who are Took these guys? by the horns. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. And yep. then the, just... Like, you really saw the chemistry that they had on being the Elite 2. Like, I want to talk about the yeah, Because you created this whole other hilarious world mm. with, and that's so Silver got over it. Also, yep, John yeah. uh, 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 Brody was so funny. Like, right. how did you book that show around Dude, that? Dude, one day they approached us. We were on, up on the stage over here, Dailies, me and Nick, and they it was almost like a little meeting. And they just said, What do we got to do? We, we feel like something's missing. We're not, there's something not clicking. And, Nick and I just told him. We said you got to, you got to get over on being the elite first. Like that, it feels like that's always the launch pad. Mm. And we didn't have any ideas. We just said think of something, shoot a bit, and do it every week. And do it every yeah. week. And I said, and we're not going to tell you what to do. Just do it. Yeah. And they were like, okay. And they they hit, at that moment they had no clue what they were going to do. But I, I sent Cutler to him and I said, go film those guys. They want to they want to try on the show. And you know, and they did it all on their own. It was all there. But it worked immediately. 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 Yeah. We simply gave them a platform. It was all their genius. It yep. was it was all those Is there guys. Any favorite moments from being the elite Man. with those guys? Well, when we just put on the episode that Cutler so beautifully put together in a day. I have to see that. A tribute to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was I, I was looking back just laughing at all of it. I, yeah, right. I, I, man, I don't know. Like, Him throwing papers is so funny to me. I love the Chili's thing. I have, like, so in one, one day, for whatever reason, Nick started singing, I want my baby back, baby back, in our locker room, right? <laughs> so we made an angle out of it, out of everyone singing Chili's baby back ribs. And I, I thought of the idea. I was like, what if, you know, I blow this big sponsorship, I uh, this big sponsorship money, and, and, and maybe Dark Order gets it instead or something. And, and, and I pitched it to those guys. They're like, we love it. So I remember telling telling John, I said, can you do a quick voiceover for a commercial for Chili's? And he's just like laughing his ass off. He's like, he's like, I, if I had any idea this is what I would be doing, he's like, absolutely. <laughs> right. So he sends me the funniest like voiceover where he's just, it, I think the, what's the last line he hits? He's like, my baby back effing ribs yeah, or something. Right, yeah. So he sends it to me and I'm just, I just got playing it over and over. I'm like, how ridiculous is this? I got Luke Harper. <laughs> Sending me the, this is what he does now, and maybe maybe so maybe the the baby back ribs bit is one of my personal favorites. Seeing those guys singing at the table and Cutler putting in the, the outtakes was so funny because everybody's been asking for that. They're like, "There's got to be outtakes." Yeah, I'm like, "You've yeah, got to yeah. put those on there, dude." Right. But uh, just reliving all of it, it was so fun for me. Just I'm so proud of them, mm -hmm. and I know that that it's a tough task for them now to move on without without him and mm -hmm. his leadership. Mm -hmm. I think they can do it. I think that they're on the right path now, and they just. They, they're gonna have to figure it, it out. Gave now. them a like, um, not a purpose, but gave them like uh, cohesiveness. Yes, right, like they're now right. a yeah, gang. They're now. A team. They, they know they're a family who. Now. Yeah. They're, yeah, different yeah. levels. Like yes. like Elite, you, you guys had different. Right. The, right. He do this, he does that. Yep. You know, and it's not so much of a ragtag group of just miscreants. You know, yep. because of his his leadership. You know, that was you're right. They feel like one now. Like we had that with the Bullet Club yep. too. It's right, very similar. Right, right. Everyone just, knows the same with the inner circle. Everyone knows yeah, exactly. their part in the team. And, and you're it, texting them every day, yeah, you know, like yeah. it, it is a family. Yeah. So they, they have that for sure. They have now. a bond forever, forever yeah. now. I was just, I saw them earlier. They're, it's, it's tougher. They're all devastated. And yeah. Just holding them in close for a hug. And, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, he, he, he did the best work of his career in the last six months, seven yep. months, but it was just the tip of the iceberg. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, it's sad for that. But on the other side of the coin, you know, God does the work that he does and, and gave him, 
he, he, he like he thought he could do it. He took the chance to do it, yep. and he right. proved himself and proved everybody else of You're like, right. oh, he's just the lackey from the Bray Wyatt family. Now he's a legit top guy for us. That. Headline a pay per view. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you never mm-hmm. know until you get off that island if you're going to if you actually right. swim and make it off. That's he right. Did. He, he did. did it. He excelled and he, he did, did great. And his I'm whole so, career went full circle. You know what I mean? I'm, like I'm so glad I got to meet him too, uh, and really like become his friend, right? And be in his little inner circle because yeah. man, he like Nick said immediately. Immediately, it was like yeah. this click. Like if I, I wish I where, where's this guy been in for 16 years? This is you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? It's, it's one of those things. Yeah. And just heartbroken over everything, but yeah, just unbelievable dude i'm so glad i got to meet him as we continue the tribute to brody lee everyone's been posting uh pictures and and thoughts and the one that really stood out to me was the picture that you posted marco of you and john um i'll post it when when we when we uh throw this 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 show up explain exactly what that was and what was going on (laughs) okay so i was getting shots in the oversized clothes that um alex marvez actually let me borrow for for a bte bit um and uh, I was, we were doing a court case, and so I, I figured it'd be funny if I showed up in oversized clothes. As, as, but anyway, so I was taking pictures, and Brody showed up, and he just snuck in the back. I didn't even know he was there at first. And he came in, and he just stood there over the top of me. And then, uh, then Speedy started laughing. I was like, what? And I turned around. He actually scared me. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he, he started, we started posing. There's like six other photos that Speedy has that... Uh, they just sent to me, so I'll send them to you. Dude. He's actually is but, uh, he picking you up or something? Like yeah, that? he grabbed me by my ear for one of them, and we took a picture like that. And then he said, "All right, now jump." I was like, "Okay," and I jumped, and Speedy snapped it at the perfect <laughs> time. It was so good. That's my favorite picture I think ever. Did you know uh, Brody before AEW? No, I, I okay. So I met him on the Atlanta Loop actually. Um, That's my first time meeting him. Um, when he showed up, I was doing my best not to mark out outside but uh, on the inside i was freaking out because i was a big fan of his and uh be able to work with him is really why were you a big fan of his what did you like about him he's he's a big dude Mm. and you know i love big dudes you know i love the big show and he's Mm. just about as big as the big show yeah no but i really did love his work and the way that he was able to move being that big Mm -hmm. you know that was always intriguing to me and he always was the one that stood out when i watched him on the wyatt family and stuff and wwe when i watched Back in high school and stuff. But when he got here, yeah, he's freaking out. But uh, Tony told me we were wrestling, actually. And it come to find out uh, Brody had pitched that to wrestle me. And so I thought that was really cool. I never got a chance to thank him for that. But, uh, well, it was, I, I know I've said this a lot, but those tapings in Atlanta is when everything shut down in Florida and we had to find a place to do basically, at the time, was six weeks worth of shows. Yeah. I think we did 26 matches in one day at, uh, at QT's school in Atlanta. And we had, Tony will tell you the exact number, 29% of our roster about. And there's guys that came. I was there, you were there, Brody was there. And I remember Brody came and, and, he, was, and he was like, you know, Tony was so happy that he drove up. And he's like, dude, I've been at home for a year. Like, yeah. I'm driving anywhere to work. But those Atlanta shows, if you ask Tony Khan, will tell you, kept, in his opinion, kept the company alive kept the show on the air and you and Brody had basically a mini program. I recall mm-hmm. you were in the crowd or something and he pushed the, what happened exactly there? Um, he came by and he gave me a death stare and I waved at him because why wouldn't Marco stunt wave at somebody? Yeah. And, and he just kind of looked me up and down and I got real scared. 
and something set in my heart and uh, I knew something was coming so they set it up for the next week and uh and I wrestled Brody for three and a half minutes and got my ass handed to me it was a great it was great before okay so we actually I'll give a little detail on the back end of that when we were wrestling uh I had to go actually drive back about six hours six and a half hours because my grandma's funeral was the next day right and uh I was going, we got done with the match and we hadn't actually filmed the crowd bit yet. It was just going to be a match that we were going to have. Um, but Tony, I went back to tell Tony goodbye at Gorilla because I had to go. And he was like, hey man, I, I hate to ask this, but would you mind setting up that match by sitting out in the crowd for his next match? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, that, that's great. It builds it up. <laughs> it gives it an actual story instead of it being just a, mm. just a one-off little squash. So you went back out in the crowd and that's when you did that spot. Oh, interesting. So that was like, you see me in my jacket and I look like I was in all ready to go. I was. <laughs> I, was I had my keys in my pocket. But no, we did that and I'm very happy I was able to do that. So what did you think of, of Brody here? Because you mentioned you were a big fan of him as yeah. Luke Harper. But here he was not just a member of the family. He was the legit leader of a faction mm-hmm. and main evented pay-per-views here. Oh, man. That's... Very interesting question. I didn't get to know him, know him super well, you know, and like I wish I did. But being able to watch his matches against Cody and Dustin and just, I feel like there's a transformation between where he was back when I was watching him in WWE all the way up to now. Like listening to what you and the Bucks were talking about, y'all said he's a main eventer now. And it is absolutely true. And everybody seemed to look up to him as a main eventer, including myself. Not only just the Dark Order, who he, he's led incredibly, but myself and all the younger, younger guys here, like Jungle Boy, my, Luchasaurus, all the Jurassic Express, I know looked up to him. He was super funny. He was just easy to go along with. He would come by and he would just, he would make you laugh and he would start laughing and he would just fuck with you. He'd pick on you. And, and but he would want you to go back and forth with him mm-hmm. it wasn't just it wasn't just like, he wasn't bullying you no it, it was, was because and like sometimes you get that from that feeling from people like oh these guys are assholes mm-hmm. he genuinely was like you could feel the warmth coming off of him when he would pick on you like you felt included almost yeah I think the fact that he had spent so much time on the indies before he got to WWE and became a big star in WWE, he never acted like he was a, a big star. He still acted like just, well, he, as he was, just one of the boys. No yeah. matter what level you're at, everybody's here working together. And there's really not that attitude in AW to begin with. But yeah, he definitely did not have that at all. No. He, very, I, and that's actually one thing that shocked me. Because I, I saw him as being like top tier, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just assumed that's what he was. And for him to come in and then treat everybody else like they're also top tier, even, even though I'm, what, five years in to the business, six years into the business now, mm-hmm. he treated me like I'd been doing this for 25 years. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I can ask for, you yeah. know? Like, Especially with the, in the match that you had, you know, such a big guy and, and you being a smaller guy, wasn't he, like it, it was a squash, but it wasn't a squash. Yeah, he gave me. It was a good match. So much. There's yeah. an actual story to that match, I feel like. There's, there's, there's the fight back. There was the beat down. There was the, there was the hope of, oh, wait, Marco, Marco's got this. No, never mind. Mm-hmm. And then, but it was three minutes of poetry, I felt like. And he put that together. I had no. I, I, I pitched one move, and that was it. I was like, hey, can I dive on you? He's like, hell yeah. He's like, what if you kick me in the face on the ropes, too? 
It's like, all right. <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts or memories of, of Brody? As a person, as a guy, as a wrestler? Those are my main stories. I'm just going to miss him a lot, man. Every time we would pass each other, we would, he would always end it by saying, hey, you'll get me back one day. Don't worry. And so I'm still planning on that, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll get him back one, one day. Or another. So we continue uh, celebrating the amazing uh, career and the amazing person, uh, John Huber, Brody Lee, Luke Harper, Big Rig, whatever you want to call him. And it's funny because I asked Jeff Jones to give me some suggestions of people to talk to, and he mentioned Excalibur and Bryce Remsburg. And um, I didn't know whose relationship with Brody is whose. And Bryce, your eyes are very red, obviously. You've been <laughs> crying quite a while. Um, what was your relationship to, to him? Uh, I met John Huber in 2005. Mm-hmm. And one of his legacies that is not talked about a lot, I think, is the gift of the word shindy. Shindy? Uh, shindy is a hybrid of a shitty indie. And I met John at one of these shindies. Uh, and as far as I know, he's the one that came out. I've never, that, I, that, as far as I can tell, that gets traced back to him. He coined the term shindy. Yes. I have heard that before. That's a legacy right there. And uh, I was not immediately familiar with his, his sarcastic wit. So we were at a show at the Rochester County Fair. Uh, Are you from that area too? No, he is. Okay. I was traveled up there. I, I met him. Uh, Chris Hero and Claudio Castellini were doing a seminar up there. I was training and I just rode along. Gotcha. And we were changing in trailers and there were, um, uh, you could smash a car with a hammer for five bucks. It was one of those <laughs> fair shows where like people, people don't pay for wrestling. They just kind of wander over and check out the wrestling. Right. And uh, he was watching every match Brody and I came to the back and he just grabbed me by the arm and he said, really phoning in and out there, kid. And I didn't realize how he was sarcastic and I was just like crushed. Because I've been in the business for two or three years, and like, like you know, this Thursday fair show, and I, who am I to phone it in? And, and, just, and it, it just, it just got me. And later, I realized what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, and then he came to Chikara, which is my home promotion when I started training, uh, and he just stuck out because he was the, he was the badass. He was the big guy. There were a bunch of like little white nerds dressed up as luchadors, and he was the ass kicker. Bryce, I take offense to that. <laughs> You're bigger than most of them. Yeah. Uh, and he that's that's what made him stick out. Same with Eddie Kingston. They were just like it was the dichotomy of the that's where he got Big Rig. That's where he got the trucker, the oh, the, okay. the, the uh, white. The he when he first came to Chicago, he was the right stuff Brody Lee, and he came out to the right stuff by New Kids on the Block, of course, <laughs> with tassels, <laughs> and that it just it wasn't him. But was the, he trying to be the hot young baby face or something? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> There's know. a picture of him right now on the fourth floor. They they've put together a little uh, little tribute to him, a little temple sort of thing. And there's a picture of him without a beard and big long sideburns. That might have been his yeah, was, new kids in the block. But I was like, if he was there, I said, "Holy shit, you got a long face." <laughs> I never noticed it before because he always had that giant beard. But it's like without that beard, he's just got this big long face. <laughs> it's crazy to think of his character as a baby face, but to think of his personality as a heel. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's it's such a weird balance. But and I'm really excited. Excalibur has helped bring back the term "big rig" to 2020. That was that was a 2007, 8, 2009 nickname, and and a lot of his friends from there say, "Hey, Big Rig's here!" And now Cody calls him Big Rig. You're calling him Big Rig. That's like, true. It's it's connecting the tissue. It's you know, cool. it's funny. And before we, we talked to Excalibur, is is so coming to AEW, I'm meeting a lot of guys that I never met, like Orange Cassidy and sure. you know Matt MJF, and they all know each other. Same thing when when I started working with Brody in, in WWE, Luke Harper. Is there calling him Bro? Who's Brody? Oh, that's Harper. Oh, his name is Harper. No, he's Brody. Right. Big Rig. Who's Big Rig? Oh, that's Harper. Which right. Which one is he? Right. He had this whole big past where everyone knew him from his his his, his shindy days mm-hmm. that I didn't know about. So when did you get to know him? Um, I 
we were talking about this. We were trying to figure this out last night. I think I first met him in 2007, and it might have been the night of my last wrestling match. Mm. Uh, I was at the the King of Trios at the ECW Arena, and uh, Colin Delaney, uh, Jimmy, uh, the, the Olsen twins, or what are they? Olsen twins, Olsen brothers. The Olsen twins. <laughs> yeah, Olsen twins. twins. They look yeah. nothing alike. They yeah. nothing alike. <laughs> but they, you know, they were all from Rochester, and I, I think John was there, and if not, then it was it was some other show, but because. And so, you know, we, I, I just kind of knew him from, from, you know, being around, but it wasn't until, like, when, when he came to AEW that we got really close. Mm. And, you know, like, we just, it's, it's we, Bryce was, uh, you know, we were reminiscing last night, and Bryce put it very, uh, a very good way. He's like, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's terrible that, that John passed, but it's, we're, we're very lucky in the fact that, uh, our, our friend John was able to to come here and meet all of the new people like uh, like Max, like Private Party, sure. uh, you know, all, all these. He reconnect uh, with Reynolds and Silver. Yeah, like, you know, it's like all these guys, uh, like even Uno and Stu, who, you know, knew him. I think they probably wrestled him in like 2006, 2005, yeah. something like that. And, you know, and then just being able to come back here and kind of re reconnect with all these people. I mean, that was, was such a such a lucky thing to have happen before he mm -hmm. passed but um yeah john john and i were competing uh not not really competing but uh we would talk about peloton and uh he he was it's funny because he he told me he's, he's like oh yeah i got a um i got a peloton for my wife for for mother's day but she wasn't using it so i started using it and then we were, we were uh, we had dinner with amanda a couple a uh, couple of weeks ago and she was like she's like yeah john got me a peloton for mother's day but he won't let me use it, he just <laughs> it all the time. it's like homer simpson buying marge a bowling ball <laughs> but you know what's funny is that my wife is at the hotel today and she went to the hotel gym she said i just tried this peloton machine and as soon as she said peloton i'm like that's like a uh, uh, like one of those signs from the heavens because mm -hmm. I've not heard her ever say that word ever, and the only other person I ever knew who ever did one was was Brody. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we we would always talk about like which which instructors had like the the hardest workouts or whatever. And uh, my uh, my last text to him, uh, it literally it said uh, it said this this little evil f gremlin is uh, is kicking my ass today, and. Um, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Chris Harrington about it. And I, uh, you know, I was like, I, was like oh, I feel you know bad bad that that's my last text. And he's like, oh, John would love that. Yeah, so. yeah. It's funny. I was just telling the Bucks before I didn't get it on tape, so I'll tell you guys. It's like we're saying that John was also very intelligent. Didn't really his his role here uh, as the head of the Dark Order as Mister Brody was very much him a giant, very intelligent though. He was never allowed to betray mm -hmm. that. Walked around with his tailored suits and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And we the, the, I worked with him. Like Marvis sent me the stats like 27 times in 2015 because I was wow. just doing house shows. And one of those matches was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. the last time I ever wrestled with him. And he came to my room to actually do Talk is Jericho. And, and they were on the ceiling, there was this like black mark on the ceiling. At first, I thought it was a big bug. And then I looked up and there was a sticker like, like who the f put that sticker up? Like some asshole just jumped up with the sticker and stuck it on the ceiling or whatever. So I just it was really starting to bother me. And I was looking at it and uh, and I was talking to John. I was like, you know this this stupid thing on the uh, uh, on the uh, on the ceiling is bugging me. Like who stuck that up there? Like I want to go up there and take it off because no, you can't take it off. That's not a, a, a sticker. That's an arrow pointing towards Mecca in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know this? He's like. 
There's one in every room. It's not just your room. Everyone's got this. Like, who the hell knew that there was an arrow pointing to Mecca? Like, how did how? Why do you know this stuff? And he's like, well, geez, I thought it was just a given. Like, well, duh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but you know, like that's kind of he he knew like all these weird little details like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's such a such a brilliant guy, and I mean, he was. You know, obviously, I feel bad for Nolan and Brody losing their father, but also for you know every everything that that he could teach them and so yeah. you know like just impo- the wisdom that he was so so thoughtful about everything and you know so i think that's uh it's kind of up to us to to pick up that mantle when we you know when we see yeah. him around and you know like kind of be you know be that 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 influence uh, amanda used to wrestle so she she, that, she yeah. gets it you know Ooh, she yeah. she actually broke her clavicle that day at the rochester fair i was there that she was at, wow. she, she, yeah and and she i forgot this and she reminded me this a couple weeks ago but like very rare is someone so skilled as a wrestler and as a family man. Like, there's really great wrestlers and shitty family men, and there's really great family men and okay wrestlers, but like, he is up on the world class list of like being able to do both. And like, I think there's a when you think about the 70s and the 80s, it was you know, guys carousing on the road and maybe staying away from home an extra day. Like, like, John is the the, the he, template, he was racing home. Yes, like he, he, that's he would hey, he would tear I, it down and be awesome. Yeah. Then he'd race home so he could like he yeah. would drive home from Jacksonville to Tampa at three in the morning so he could be so he could wake up and take I his kids. And let school. me give you the other side of the story on that. I live in Tampa, mm. and I've been have a uh, taken a, a private jet back and forth mm. to Jacksonville. I know a guy hooks me up. It's just easier. Mm, sure. So every week it's me, Hager, and Dean, mm. and every week ask John if he wants to come. Ask Huber. He would never come on that jet because, like you said, he would drive home after the show just to be home in time to see his kids go to school. Or whatever. I'm like, dude, you'll yeah. be home at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. He's like, no, nah, I got to be home tonight. I'm like, uh, really? Okay. Hey, Scott and I were talking last night. In our lives together, a combined 75 years or so, we've been on zero private jets. Brody and Nolan, <laughs> little Brody and Nolan, a combined age of 11, have been on two private jets. So that's pretty cool. And actually, Big Brody came the very first time when he was supposed to be in hiding. He came on the jet. That was uh, the one yeah, time man. he came in his tailored suit. Right? right. right. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I said, I mean, it's it's good to share these memories, and I'm I'm, I'm glad. Like Mar- like you just said, Excalibur almost gave away your identity. <laughs> um, it wasn't a long time, but the seven months he was here was the best work of his career. Mm-hmm. And in that time frame, he was able to prove that he wasn't just a lackey, which he was great being right. part of the family, Wyatt family, but he was a legit main event guy. Yeah. And I think to me, that's one small, one small little mercy about this whole thing is he, at least before he passed away, proved to himself and to the world just what he could do. Yeah. yeah. You know? He bettered himself too, you know, like he realized he was not being used to the fullest of his potential with two kids at, 39 years old he's like i went out and he took a chance and uh, selfishly for us that we got to spend time with him and every like our friends got to hang out with our friends yeah. like our, our friend got to come and meet our new friends and vice versa mm-hmm. and like all the lives he touched before he even got here he would have this been we'd been talking about on this glowingly but it's just so much more because he got a new lease on his career and his mm-hmm. kids love it you know and everything and selfishly when he won the TNT belt from Cody I was a referee and that was this cool like you know cool. moment to be in there we were texting each other during the match while it was, it was a tape show and just like that's forever those pictures are forever like and I, I'm so glad we got that and and as awful and unfathomable as all this is it's hard not to believe that the kids are going to be alright Amanda's a rock star and as everyone has said like there's a whole family looking out for yeah, them I now mean, like, it's, it's, it's a testament to 
I mean, both John and Amanda, that, you know, th- this, this outpouring of support that, that, that has come to John, but that, you know, that they've, they're, they're such, such amazing people together and that John was such a, such a huge, huge figure that they've cultivated literally this, I mean, you know, there's people go through deaths and tragedies all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's just, just somebody's family or, you know, maybe the neighbors or, you know, whoever will drop off a casserole or something like this. But literally, I mean, everybody, anybody in this company would just drop anything and do anything for, for that family. And it's all because, you know, um, I mean, Amanda is a wonderful person, but John is, you know, just, they've got a hundred uncles and aunts now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, final thought, Bryce. I'm, I'm so glad that so many people got to experience John behind the curtain in front of the, you know, fans, everyone. And I, I've said this to Excalibur today several times. Like, if I had to stay home today, I'd go nuts. I'm so glad we got to come here and all be together and celebrate his life and talk to you. And I think what's going to happen tonight is going to be tough but therapeutic. And uh, I'm glad we're going through this together. Yeah, 100% agree. And, you know, the world the world is worse off without John. Yep. But it doesn't mean that we can't be more like John and kind of, you know, f- fill that void. So as we continue the, our tribute to Brody, um, Alex Reynolds and John Silver are two guys I think that really benefited since Brody came in with all of the stuff you've done over the last few months on BT and then on, 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 on Dynamite. So was he pretty influential for your guys' development? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was very influential. Um, I, th- I, th- I always say that he saved our careers here. Um, as you know, Chris, uh, we were on just a per-appearance deal before he got here. And I really don't think we would have got the full-time deal without him. He, um, you were the Beaver Brothers when you first came in, right? <laughs> Beaver Boys. Beaver Boys. Beaver Boys, yeah. And then yeah. they just basically like stuck you in the dark order to give you something to do. Yeah. And so you would have random matches, but you were coming in every week just per, per appearance. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think Brody elevated the stock of just of the entire group. Mm-hmm. But he was a star. And mm-hmm. our group didn't have that yet. So just being associated with us, I feel like elevated the entire group and it brought more light onto it. But yeah, like, you know, then the pandemic hit and they started adding other people to the group. So John and I couldn't travel because New York was really bad. And, uh, you know, once you're able to, they kept asking Brody like, oh, uh, do you need Alex and John this week? He's like, yeah, if, if I'm here, they're here. Mm. So he always like made sure like if Dark Order was needed, the entire and wh- why was that i i think he took a liking to us you know we didn't really know him on the indies so the first time we met him was when he debuted here and we did a pre-tape that night after his debut in morton's and it was like i think it ended up being like a 700 dollars <laughs> 700 like uh, tape <laughs> but um it was it, we just uh we got along as if we'd known each other forever yeah. like uh we're just laughing and uh, like the shoot was him eating steaks and we're just sitting there with our steaks in front of us we're not allowed to eat yet and he's so he's downing these steaks and we're just cracking jokes the entire time and laughing and it was like it was like it, it was really like we knew him for so long yeah. like and I've heard good stories about him and um, our buddy Brian Myers um, he's like yeah he's he, you know Brody's the man you're gonna like him and then he told 
Brody the same thing about us. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, recently Brian uh, sent us a picture of the conversation, and he took pictures of both of us to start eating our steaks afterwards. Yeah. And, <laughs> just uh, like little kids with our steaks. <laughs> yeah, just like smiling with steak in our mouth. <laughs> so, because like you mentioned, I think the, the darker I spoke with Stu and, and, and Uno earlier was much more of kind of a ragtag group of guys until Brody came in as the leader, which gave some real cohesiveness to to the group and yeah. also roles like he's the boss and Stu and, and Uno are kind of the lieutenants and you guys are kind of the foot soldiers type thing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 like you mentioned, I think it really did save the whole concept of what the dark order was by having, by having Brody come in. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've were able to further develop those characters through BTE, which was just a huge help. Exactly. And yeah. in all honesty, if Brody was like, no, I'm not doing this, we wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And that would have been it. But, and I think he was a little hesitant for the first one because he came in as the exalted one, wanted to be like a serious, you know, just badass, badass dude. And uh, I think he was a little hesitant, but after we did the first one and he saw that like, we could be the silly, goofy ones. And he's like the serious straight man, but is just also very funny, but mm. not like cracking little jokes. I like tried to describe it as like, uh, we were the hyenas in Lion King, <laughs> you know, and he's Scar. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so we're always just constantly messing up and he's just throwing papers. But it just, it was able, and it goes back to him helping us because he could have just said no. But we knew at that point that we needed to show some characteristics, like show some personality. Well, you're basically nameless, faceless guys up in that point. And then yeah, suddenly yeah. you get to show this personality. And, you know, John Silver's the most talked about guy <laughs> because of it. So talk about that, how, how important BT's was for you, John. I mean, it helped us so much. The original plan for just BT was actually, we were, I think, Uno was talking to us. He was like, I think we guys should be on BT. The Young Bucks mentioned something. Maybe you guys just go recruit people. So the first thing we filmed was um, Brody coming in to the room, and it basically kind of led to, hey, you guys are going to be the recruitment guys. And then that was supposed to be it for them, and then just us doing recruitment bits. But once he pegged Uno in the face with the papers, and we all start laughing, and you can very clearly see me put my head down because I'm laughing so hard, (laughs) and then – he it, that took off and one thing he always liked to do so i was laughing that first bit i was laughing in almost all of, I, I was laughing every bit uh we ever did but he would see that and then he'd get right in my face he'd put his beard basically in my beard and start yelling at me and it was impossible to to keep my composure but we kind of made that part of the bit that's mm. why he would always yell are you crying are you crying right now it would kind of <laughs> straighten us up and like from breaking because and I think that's what made people enjoy those bits too, because they could see that we were just having like so much fun doing them, you know. And the tribute episode they showed a bunch of outtakes. Uh, there's from a, there's our a lot more. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's probably hours of more outtakes. Well, I think once you mentioned too, Alex is like once you realized that there's two t- kind of worlds. Like if what you do in BT is seen, we talked about this last week, John, about Johnny mm-hmm. Hungy. There's a, a big fan base of BT. Mm-hmm. But there's a big fan base in Dynamo who doesn't know about BT, so yes. you can be a little bit more open and try things. Like you mentioned, for Brody, he can be a little bit goofier because he's not going to change. It's not going to change his character on, yeah. on Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, it um, truly just helped. I don't think we. Yeah, that, <laughs> him on BT, and then 
like helped us so much and then the chemistry was there obviously yeah. uh and then that's when tony because tony watches bt he's like we need to do this on tv mm-hmm. and he actually it was funny that tony played a joke on me everyone was telling me he was actually told brody how much he liked it and how much he wanted to do this on tv the dynamic between me and him and he told so brody told me he's like hey tony loves it he wants to do this on tv other people were telling me tony loves this idea it's gonna be big and then i see tony and he goes he's like where do you get off that's the first <laughs> thing he said i'm like what he's like he's like you have all this personality and you have it on bt and you're not doing it on a tv show and I'm like, sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to. There must be a scary cult guy. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get off? It's so 19. So where do you get off? <laughs> that's the first thing he said. But that's only because Brody brought that out and that chemistry and that personality out in us. So tell us about some of your favorite BTE bits involving Brody. Like you mentioned, well, the outtakes and the tribute show. Talk about some of those things for people who haven't seen them. Uh, I, I think the first one that comes to mind for a lot of people is the one with uh, Trent's mom Sue. Yeah. Uh, so the way what happens is. Brody's not there in the beginning, and me and Alex aren't there in the beginning, and they're all talking the rest of the Dark Order, and I have Brody's jacket on, his ring jacket, and I'm on Alex's shoulders, and I'm doing an impression of Brody. <laughs> so I come in, I start yelling at them as if I'm Brody, and I'm yelling, who's got papers for me? Trying to do his like his voice and everything, and then, then Brody comes in. And he starts yelling at us, obviously. And I thought one of the small funny things is I'm on his shoulders, so he, I'm now taller than Brody. Uh, he's looking up. He's like, "Put him down. Put him down." He, I'm not he, looking up at him. He I'm opens the jacket to see, <laughs> oh, my, yes, and yes. I just I knew it was coming, so I just put my head down. So I because I knew if I made eye contact with him, it would be done. <laughs> You're like the little midget guy in Total Recall, Quato <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that so they put us down. He starts yelling. Sue comes in with lunches for us, and then she's like, "Here you go, lunches." She gives them to me. Uh, Sue walks out. Brody's just mad, so he takes the lunches, throws them on the ground, and then Sue walks back in. He's like, what happened to the lunches? <laughs> and then, so Brody's like, well, this mother doesn't like your food, points at me. And we're like, what? I love the food. So he gives the papers to Sue to throw at me, and she is a older woman and maybe not very good at sports, I'm assuming. <laughs> but uh, from about three feet away, she misses and hits the ground with the papers. <laughs> And we all just start laughing. And this is the first time I think Brody broke even a little bit yeah. when he was on film because he never would unless he was kind of to the side. And we all start laughing and then we do it again. But um, I think that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. But there's a lot. Yeah. The one we had to figure out, and this is what it's so silly to say, like, this is what we're doing. We have to try to find creative ways to not have Brody throw the papers all the time so right. it doesn't get old. But we did one where, like, we were all just arguing. Brody comes in. We're standing at like attention, and uh, you know, him, him, and John and Stu start yelling, and then he tells him to shut up. And he looks at me and he's like, "Why is it always something with silver?" I'm like, "He's just a kid. <laughs> he's just a kid." And John's like, "I'm 29, Alex." <laughs> and Brody just goes, "29." He's like, "I have an eight-year-old, but he's not an idiot." <laughs> And then just like slowly unbuttons his jacket and opens his jacket up and he's got two stacks of papers. John trips and falls, like screaming for his mom. Like it was just just ridiculous. Stuff, we would right? laugh so hard. I would have headaches. Actual headaches afterwards. Yeah. And my abs would hurt from just laughing. But what the what Uno and, and, and Stu said that makes sense is not only did that open up your characters, but it made you closer friends yes Definitely. you know that's like when inner circle went to las vegas like yeah we had a great time but 
you actually really get close with these cats, right? Yeah. And that kind of all allowed you to do that. Yeah, because we were only together for like seven, eight months, mm. whatever it was. And, but in that time, like we would spend all, like all the entire group got close. Mm. Um, and, you know, so time is not how long you know somebody doesn't matter, but like the, effect, the quality. Yeah. yeah. And we spent all these times and went through like a lot, you know, like us worrying about like, you know, with this pandemic, are we going to have jobs. Do mm -hmm. I have to get a real job? You know, and him kind of, he, he truly was the leader, like, yeah, on screen, but even behind the scenes, because we would always go to him, like with our thoughts, concerns, problems, whether it's real life or wrestling, you know, mm -hmm. and he was always there and told us what, not what we wanted to hear, but what we needed yeah, to hear. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's, that's what I'm going to miss the most was like talking to him about like, uh, like buying a house and starting a family and things like that, that, um, he was somebody that like, I felt like I could trust that had those experiences and I could lean on when those issues would come up. And, uh, yeah, that's like, that's the toughest part. Yeah. How about for you, John? Uh, <laughs> I mean, similar, but those conversations uh, were more of him making fun of me, <laughs> uh, jokingly, obviously. But he would, he would always just make us laugh, uh, just constantly. I think like the big thing was he helped us. He elevated all of us, and he didn't just want to elevate us so it made him look good. He just wanted to help elevate all of us. He, he truly cared. Um, I, I wrote the story on my Instagram and my Twitter about um, when we found out we were going to be working more on Dynamite together. He hit me up. He's like, hey, I'm going to buy you a ring jacket because it's going to help you look like a star. And um, he's like, also, you know, uh, I'm going to buy you matching gear that matches mine, uh, his. And um, he didn't have to do that. And that, that just the matching gear was just for one BTE bit that he had in, in, mm -hmm. in mind to do. Uh, so he told me to hit the guy, give him my measurements. I gave him the measurements. And it was like over a thousand dollars, and I'm like, you sure you you want to, mm -hmm. you know, this is you don't have to do this. Is he's like, no, I, you know, I want to do it. Like, so that doesn't. It's not like he's doing that selfishly. He's doing that to help us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just a super nice, caring thing to do. Just to just to you know, help me out in my career and make me look more presentable and more like a star. So it was. I mean, you can't. I can't say enough good things about yeah. Brody. It's really. Um, there's not many people that would do something like that. As we continue our tribute to uh, Brody Lee, uh, I wanted to talk to Brandy Rhodes to get a female perspective on just what a great guy uh, uh, John was. And you posted a really nice uh, Instagram message to him and just want to kind of get your thoughts on, 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 on what kind of a person he was and how he influenced you. Yeah, no, Brody, um, actually Cody met Brody when I was off the road for the first time. So I had left wrestling for a bit and it, it's a weird spot to be in when you're used to being on the road all the time with your significant other and then all of a sudden they're gone five days a week and you're just by yourself and you're wondering what are they doing um and cody had described like brody as oh he's this family guy like he always is talking about his wife and his kids and he always was, loves to bring them around and stuff so i was like that is a great person <laughs> to be <laughs> traveling with so i was like i already like brody um and then when i met brody just his was that just here since he came in AW? So no, you met him? no, oh. I met him. Um, gosh, I've known Brody probably for six years now. Yeah, 
Um, so we worked together in WWE. That's right. Yeah. Of course, of course. And he actually, he has a record on me that I don't know if I ever shared with him. Probably. But I like to tout that I never messed up as a ring announcer. Ever. Like, never. It's You can't find it. Look for it. You'll never find it. I never blew anything. But to much to my chagrin on a taped show I screwed up and that was with Brody so it was Brody versus Ziggler Intercontinental Championship and Ziggler always tried to screw me up because he knew that like I loved my record of I never mess up <laughs> so he would be talking to me and screaming at me while I'm announcing and Brody you know he didn't say anything but he would just stare at you with the menacing Luke Harper stare so I was like okay another day another dollar here we go, championship ring intros. I'm standing there, and I, you know, big announced Brody as the challenger, and I'm, you know, from, I think he was from Rochester. Yeah. Yeah, from Rochester. And I go weighing in at 227 pounds, and then I look, and Ziggler starts howl laughing, because that's his weight. Clearly not the 275er. So I'm like, God, they got me. Mm. And it was just hilarious. So I, I had to wild line that one. So he's got my record on that one. But um, yeah, I mean, we just, we just had so much fun and he was just so caring all the time. Um, you know, I had a lot of ups and downs in my career. I mean, I feel like as, as everybody has. And he was one of the few people that I felt like I could share and say like, hey, this is what I'm, this is why I have like such a booby face today. Like mm. this is why I'm so mad. And um, you know, he was just always so positive and just. And why could you, why did you feel you could share that with him? I think because he's so genuine. Like I knew that sharing something with him was not going to be something that he was going to go and tell other people or ever like use against me in any way. I knew that he genuinely wanted to know and cared and wanted to know how he could help. So, um, he, yeah, he, I mean, he was just always that kind of guy. Just, just cared about other people, never put anything before his family. Like everything was always about Amanda and the kids. And even when we did the angle here, um, at AEW when he was, uh, he and I went back and forth a lot on Twitter about my thirst traps. And What's your what? <laughs> my thirst traps. Thirst traps? Thirst traps, yeah. What are those? Oh, come on, Chris, you know what thirst traps are. <laughs> you, you, you thirst trap, you dapple in thirst trapping. <laughs> no, so thirst traps are when you post pictures of your, like, body pictures. Right. Basically to say like, hey, I'm looking good. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> Why is it called a thirst trap? Um, because it's like, I'm trying to think of the correct, <laughs> like, thinking on it, but it's like you're attracting thirsty people. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and, like, they see the picture and they're, like, trapped. Yeah, so, okay, like, gotcha. you get tons of likes and comments. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, if I didn't say that right, then, you know, I'm I get 37. It. It's yeah, fine. I have dabbled <laughs> in thirst traps before. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, we all do. It's yeah. fun. It's kind of fun. But Brody took it as part of the angle, so... He would, would um, you know, as he was getting at Cody, he would put a, like a post out of himself training shirtless. And he'd say, thirst trapping better than your wife, you know, and stuff like that. And so then I, I cut the promo on Anna Jay and was saying, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, you know, I'm really getting Anna Jay by saying, you know, oh, you have to ask Daddy Brody, Daddy Brody. He just took it and ran with it. And so then it started saying, your wife's putting out thirst traps and calling me daddy on the internet, <laughs> so it was great. Um, but he, with all of those promos, would talk to me about like different lingo because he wanted to pop Amanda. So he'd be like, hey, if I say, you know, one that he got wrong was he tried to use WAP 
in a promo and he said WAP on exit, which was heartbreaking because Different I was meaning. like, yeah, I was like, you got it, but you didn't because <laughs> you said the wrong thing. Right. But uh, it, it was great. Like we had so much fun with that and I would even, you know, message Amanda and be like, hey, did you see that? Like, do you think it was funny? But my favorite one was he did the live promo where he was going to physically say, you know, on live TV, hey, Cody, your wife is, you know, thirst trapping on Instagram, call me daddy. And he said, are you okay with this to me? And I said, yeah, of course. I mean, that's what we're doing. Like, we're, we're selling this whole thing, so let's just go for it. Um, so he does it live. Then he comes back and asks me, like, hey, what did you think of the promo? And I said, well, actually, um, I'm a little taken aback because I think he took some liberties. Like, we talked about one thing, but then you kind of Kanye Wested the situation and turned me into Taylor Swift, and I felt, like, taken advantage of. His face, like, uh. <laughs> he just was like, Wait, what? What part did I say that you? I, I thought I said, and I was just like, dude, I'm just messing with you. It was so great. It was so fun. But I, uh, I told Amanda that afterwards, and she was like howling because, I mean, he just he would have he would have hated if he made me uncomfortable in some kind of way, mm -hmm. you know. But um, yeah, just such a fun, fun guy, and just a great heart. A true gentleman, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A gentleman's gentleman. Yeah. What did you think he brought to AEW? Because you talked about that angle that you had with, with the Nightmare Family versus Dark Order, and that's when the big brawl and Anna Jade chokes you out. I mean, it was just a, it was a kind of a, a classic moment here in our company. Yeah. No, um, I mean, I always knew that Brody coming would be huge for AEW because everybody's always known that he kind of had untapped talent in the sense of a singles competitor. I mean, he was great in a tag team, but we never really got to hear him talk much. And um, you couldn't see him really shine as a, as a single competitor. So um, coming here, I mean, he just showcased that as a, a larger athlete, he was just very agile and able to hang with anybody, had chemistry with everybody. Um, and then his promos were fantastic. Who knew, <laughs> you know? We, we never heard him say much more than, you know, whatever he said for the Wyatt family. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, he could cut these really just inspiring promos and just really lead this Dark Order who was just kind of starting to get their legs anyway and it just took them into a whole nother realm. Now we're falling, falling in love with these other characters that we knew nothing about mm -hmm. and it's all because of the right leadership. Right, right, because of him. Um, I guess the final thoughts on, 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 on him as far as what he meant to you and, and kind of what what his loss means for us as a family, as a team. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the loss is incredible. Um, there's no one like Brody. Um, there, there will always be that huge void, uh, no matter what. And, and this terrible situation has caused me, I guess, to look at people, so many people differently because I didn't know the connections that he had with all of these different people. I knew that my family had a great connection with them, but it's just it's beautiful to see you know all these people Huge feeling yeah. yeah feeling all of these emotions, and I just hope that his legacy continues on in in so many ways. Like uh, you know people were inspired by his ability to to love this job and still be such an incredible family man, and I hope that we don't forget that and we don't lose sight of that because. That's so important. I mean, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's it's a hard balance, and it's something that you know very easily we could let go by the wayside. But at the end of the day, like family is important. Um, your family here is important. AEW is a family. We're all important. We need to lift each other up. We need to, you know, speak to each other kindly and, and just be there 
for one another. And I think Brody is a key to that in the fact that we're losing that. But then we can all band together and make up for it and be that much closer and, and just better for each other. Can learn from him. Exactly. So uh, we continue our uh, tribute to uh, Brody here backstage at Dynamite and everyone's been coming in and dropping in and so um, we got uh, FTR and Chris Daniels here um, Cash, Dash, David, Daniel John Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt <laughs> Got them all. Thanks Vince <laughs> uh, So, but tell me um, what kind of relationship you had with, with, with Brody and um, where did you first meet him and, and, and Yeah, um, so I didn't meet Brody until 2012 whenever i started with wwe there we go got it out yeah, yeah. um and th we we met at work obviously but um the the thing i remember is uh our, our wives first meeting and we lived literally right across from each other the same apartment complex they lived right across from us and the first day that um that they moved in me and my wife helped them move in helped them move all their furniture in and everything and uh, Brody was not there. He was not there. It was just his wife. And uh, the next day, Maria, my wife, was outside. And she saw Brody walking around. And she said, um, hey, excuse me. And my wife is, uh, you know, she's about five foot six. And she's this little Greek girl. And she said, hey, excuse me, are you John? And he said, yeah, I'm John. And she was like, she, she said, uh, she said, okay, hey, I'm, uh, I'm actually David Harwood's wife. Um, it's very, very nice to meet you. I met your wife here today. He said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were a fan just coming up to me. So he thought my wife was just so little, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah 2012. He's like, oh, this little fan. <laughs> but um, right from the get-go, man, I knew that these two, that John and Amanda were like salt-of-the-earth people. And um, anytime we needed them, whether it was when we lived in the same complex or, you know, when we were um, – this is all FCW years? FCW, yeah. yep. Uh, or whenever they he got called up, uh, they were always there for us. And um, just the the how much he cared about uh, his family, it was always, because this is before I had a daughter, uh, that always left an impression on me, and I wanted to be just like that. I wanted to, he never let wrestling consume him so much that it overshadowed his family. He loved his wife and his kid. And now he's got two kids. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he loved his wife and he loved uh, little Brody. And I, that always left that impression on me, that that's what I wanted to be. Yeah, so I didn't meet What's Brody I didn't meet Brody until a few years later because I started later. But obviously every time we had like a – they call them coconut loops when it's like one of the NXT local shows. <laughs> Largo and yeah. – Largo. Alatka. Ooh. Jesus. <laughs> So whenever we had one of those, like we all rode together and he would always talk about Brody and everybody I ever heard speak about him just talked about how funny he was and how good of a father and husband he was. But I never really got a chance to sit down and shoot the shit with him until later on. But like the first time we ever shared a locker room, I remember he struck up this conversation with me and it was about something. I can't even remember what, but it was about something that I didn't think he should know about me. So I was like, do we? did we meet before? And I, I don't remember it. I'm not recalling it. And I have a pretty solid memory. So I was like, man, we've had this conversation before and I, I'm blanking. And he's like, no, no, I just, you know, I talked to David and he was telling me about some of this stuff. And I like, he just, he kept it. He memorized it and talked to me about it months later. And that always like blew my mind that he was just able to recall 
a very vague story about me after months and never even actually meeting. Dude, going off of that really quick, um, you know, we, we work in a profession where a lot of guys in this, even me, uh, we're insecure, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's hard for us sometimes to say, man, your match was great or God, you're such a great worker because you all if, if you have we're competitive. Yeah. If you have any any anything in you, you want to be the best. Yeah. And it's saying that it opens like the mother. Yeah. Around, yeah. God damn. He it's is like the one up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to admit it all the time. But little things like that. He would never was that insecure guy. If you were good, he would tell you how good you were. And, and he would always, he would remember everything about you. He would remember your name. Um, and he never, again, he never let the wrestling business consume him so much that it uh, overtook his real life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, and I love that about him. Everybody that I'm sure that most of the guys that have known him since FCW and before will tell you that he was a perennial pot stirrer. Like he, he, and he was so good at it. Like you never knew what he was up to, but you always knew he was up to something. Very sarcastic. Yeah. Man. Like if, if there's a, if, especially when you're gathered around in the group and he, he singles out one person to start some sort of conversation with, he has an end game. He has a plan <laughs> and nobody else knows what's going on, but you watch it unfold and it's, it made everybody laugh so much. And I remember like we worked new day a lot on our last european tour we worked the bludgeons a little bit also and we got to like work with harper and rowan but it, we were doing butlins which is like the small camps where dixon runs and he, he dared us to do the pump handle spot oh yeah <laughs> like <laughs> explain what the pump handle spot is the pump handle spot is where you you take the like for example if david and myself are wrestling new day we take the baby face's arm and we'll pass it to each other after we arm tag right out and yeah. you yeah you you ring it out over the other guy's shoulder but you have your back to him so you don't see who your whose arm you're ringing and eventually you have the baby face turn it around and pass your <laughs> your your arm to your partner your partner just rings, spot. yeah just yeah. just breaks your you're, arm you're, over you're, and you're, over you're hurting your own partner's arm and we yeah. did it and like the place loved it and like it was so fun. It's just so stupid. And we got to the back and we got chewed out. Yeah, like we got in so much trouble for it. <laughs> and the what, if, what, if, what if Vince finds out? Oh, my God. That's so hokey. Oh, my God. That's what so if pro Vince wrestling. Vince would hate that. I said, well, Vince isn't in Butlins. <laughs> and and, and the thousands the boys of people. Right yeah, and, and, and the boys. there's 500 little kids there, too, probably. Yeah. 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 Like, we're cold. We're exhausted. And we're all having fun. And the, the crowd's with it. And more importantly, like, Everybody in the locker room is gathered around laughing and having a good time. Waiting and that's, that's, what, that's what you need to get through these things. Oh. And that, that same tour, it was, it was a very common thing, but Brody and Danielson had what could only be described as the most exciting competition known to man. Who was the runner-up best opening match guy in WWE history? Runner-up. Runner-up. Mysterio, hands down, the best. Mysterio, okay. Mysterio was the best. was number one. Best first match ever was Mysterio. <laughs> but they would alternate first matches on the tour and see who could have the best first match match, <laughs> who could do the least, like... Until they worked each other. Yeah. Until they worked with each other in the first match, and then they would the, come to the back. Top rope Ranas. Yeah, come to the dives. back. Great, greatest first match of all time. Both of them. <laughs> they, 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 they came to a common, uh, a, a common ground that they were the greatest first match uh, match of all time <laughs> but just seeing how fiery and competitive they were to be the the runner-up <laughs> second greatest opening match wrestler of all time was so funny and like obviously it was just to pop the boys but it, they would get so competitive with it and like i remember danielson especially like his last opening match on that tour he went out of his way to not do anything exciting <laughs> not do anything flashy didn't go to the didn't touch the ropes didn't do a, any sort of dive like 
perennial open opening match match, and he was so proud of it. Very Terry Taylorish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's See, just that's just what he was. He was always bringing the boys together, finding some way to get you to bond and be happy in the midst of a cold, exhausting tour, or when you're hurt and you're beat up and you're tired and you, you don't want to be in a good mood. You didn't have a choice around him. CD, um, when Brody came here to to AW, and obviously you're kind of one of the talent relations heads, head of talent relations. Like, how did you see him change from what he was doing in WWE? Uh, well, I think I think he saw an opportunity to sort of shake the stereotype of what Vince saw in him up there, yep. and um, like the idea of being the lead the leader of this group uh, and and the whole dynamic of him wearing the suit and speaking and being eloquent, um, just sort of throwing in the face of the guys that, oh, you're a big guy. You should be, you should talk in monosyllable. Uh, southern yeah, accent. Yeah, southern accent. One syllable words. Accent. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, Which is so crazy. Sorry to interrupt, but he I'll wanted... He, Vince didn't want us to speak in a southern accent. We're from the south. Right. He's he from like southern accent. Yeah. He wanted, so the, he wanted the well-spoken northerner New, New Yorker to, to, to speak southern. <laughs> he didn't want the southerners to speak southern. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, so yeah, I, I think that he saw an opportunity to take the ball and run with it. And um, I, I think... And sitting with two guys that also did that same thing uh, to come here and, and take the ball and run with it. I, I feel like he just relished that chance. It's one of those things where he's like twirling his fingers like, I can't wait. I can't wait to get this opportunity. And I think, um, you know, his, his couple months here uh, doing the stuff with, uh, with me, doing the stuff with Cody, um, the stuff with Orange, I, I feel like he really sort of came into his own, like showing the world that's the, that was what was possible uh, and, right, and, right, right. and he just wanted that opportunity and he got a chance to show it, which I yeah. thought was great. Dax, because this just you spiked something that FTR basically left around the same time that Brody did to come to AEW. Did you guys have a common bond because of that? Oh, yeah. Discuss yeah, it before, did. after? For sure. He told us he wanted us, like, we would, we had a group text with him and uh, he said, I want us to be the radicals. It, me and Cash and him. He wanted us to be the radicals. We had, the group text is called the radicals with yeah. with the Z on the Z. There. Z. Yeah. <laughs> they went through a big phase of Z's oh, in the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah, so we had all these, they had this big grandiose plans to come in together, mm. and because our contracts were coming up pretty soon, um, until you know some things happened. Yeah, but yeah, our contracts were coming up soon, and his his plan and, and our plan was to be the radicals here. <laughs> uh, but he didn't know about the Dark Order stuff until that was pitched, so that, that never happened. But CD is exactly right. He was so proud. I, I, I wish everyone knew how proud he was of this last run he had here. I mean, obviously, you it's know. the best of his career. Oh, for sure. No doubt it, about it. No it was getting better it. every week, yeah. too, which yeah. is what makes it even more, like, it's already the most heartbreaking situation I can possibly imagine, but knowing how happy he was and how well things were going for him personally and professionally, man, and I'm, like, and I'm sure what it's, could have been? It's easy for people to say, oh, well, they're saying that because they're with AEW now. I'm telling you, as one of my best friends um, and also a work colleague, this was his favorite time in the business. This was the best work he had ever done, and he was so proud of this last run. When he won the, the belt from Cody, he could not wait to take the belt home to show little Brody. He, he told me, he was like, I can't wait to take this home. Because I, I kind of made fun of him at first. said, oh, you're going to take the belt home, huh? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take it home. But just, just for Brody, I want to show Brody. And, and, you know, and then we got to talking about how 
proud he was of himself, how proud he was of us. Um, but he got to take the TNT belt home and, and show it to Brody and say, look what dad did on his own. And, and uh, th- th- things like that, I wish everybody knew just how – he would never say how proud he was of himself, but he was. He was so proud of what he accomplished. And, I mean, he was proud of us too. One story, you know, he, when we won the, the tag team belts, mm. he, was, he sent us this – he sent both of us individual texts, and he was just telling us how, um, how happy he was that he and us – we left WWE and the biggest conglomerate of you know wrestling and you know in entertainment as well. But we left that one place and we came here, and we all are having the runs of our, our mm-hmm. careers. And um, he said he told me he said when we get back to TV, let's go take a picture together, all three of us with our belts, and it's something we can keep forever. And um, I said absolutely, man. So we got here to TV, and I think both he and I were too afraid to go up to the other and say, Hey, let's go take that to picture together. Yeah. yeah. Because we were like, Oh, you were serious. Yeah. You Mark, <laughs> you know what I mean? But now, uh, you know, he, uh, cash tweeted it the other day. I, that's the, that it, at 16 years, almost 17 years of wrestling. That's the biggest regret of my career ever. And we didn't get that picture with him. Uh, it's not the same, but you should have Speedy put one together for you guys. I'm sure he could easily do it. We we have an idea know. that we're working on, yeah. but just knowing that I know, I got like you. there was I, I did that with at the Tokyo Dome with Cody and Kenny and I. And we all had the titles for New, with New Japan, yeah, and they had they couldn't say no because it's me. But I felt like a big mark. But I was like, F- this man, three it's, friends have the titles, but it's hard to. You we're know, all like, we're all here today filming this because. You should ask me first. Yeah, we're filming yeah. this because of how fast things can change, yeah. and you don't you don't know what's going to happen. It'll never happen next, again for in the me. next couple of minutes. Yeah, never again. So, be a mark. Yeah, get that picture. <laughs> yeah, get your pictures. I, I think there's a tendency in all of us when we realize, you know, this is it's a work, it's what it is. But at the same time, the idea of being a champion, you know, there's there is a certain pride in the fact that a yes. company chooses you to have that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. and so. Um, I, I think everybody, all of us feel like, oh, it's it's a work, it's a prop, it's the belt. But at the same time, there is that feeling like, oh, I got chosen to to represent for a period of time. And, and trusted. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah trusted. I'll trusted. try not to go too long-winded on this, but there's, you know, there's a difference between guys that are happy to just be wrestling and guys that always want to achieve more and always want to give more. And Brody was one of those guys. And that's, so his last couple of years with WWE, obviously he was, always fighting for more either to do more there or do more elsewhere. And that's why he ended up in AEW eventually. But there comes a point where after so many years of trying and being told you're not good enough, that it affects you mentally and it affects your confidence Confidence, and and your performance. And Brody will be the first to tell you when he left and he first got here, he was struggling a little bit and I wasn't there for this conversation, but one of the last interviews he did for, I think sports illustrated, maybe, he had had a conversation with Dax and he had a match that he wasn't very happy with. And Dax is like, look, cause we really quick. Cause we, he and I were very close and we, we were, were close enough to, for me to be honest with him and not just say, yeah, it was fine. You know what I mean? And he, and he didn't take offense to this either, yeah. but David told him like, look, you're second guessing everything you're doing. You're not confident. Like you're, I can tell it in your work. Yeah. yeah and it's showing like, we don't need self or self-conscious Brody. We need confident Brody. We need the guy that knows how good he is. And like he did that interview and he said, when he told me that it, it made me realize that he's right. Like I am good. I am good enough. And I just need to have that confidence in me and not saying that it, he wouldn't have done it anyway, but 
he just he found his confidence again and he just started hitting on every single cylinder and his promos were so good especially his live ones when you have that adrenaline going and it's not scripted and you're just told to talk he did one backstage and it was it gave me goosebumps like i was i just happened to overhear as they're doing it and it was beautiful and he was just his match his last match with cody again like a masterpiece from a dog collar match which are not easy they're not easy it's 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 actually more difficult it's interesting what you say because you know you go back and look through the texts you know and last few texts they forgot like there's a couple there's actually three occasions where he either called me or came into this room right here to ask I got I need some advice and I said to him same similar stuff and I said dude keep this in mind this is not WWE you're not going to get your chance taken away if you lose a match or something gets edited out it's not malicious it's just because of the way that the it's, show went yeah. and no one's ever going to like okay your three weeks are over like they tend to do you have a yeah. whole. No one's taking anything away. It's the all Dark Order in general needed the time. They did, and, and then when they got Brody, also like look how well that whole that whole he thing gave them has cohesiveness. went. Cohesiveness. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They made a team. Like, out they, of that. They were, everybody was so critical of of that group when it first started, and it became one of the strengths of the company. Even when he first came in, yeah. Like oh whatever. Put him with that yeah. Guy. And then suddenly, and now look at it. Yeah, I was just gonna say the um, the whole thing with me and him was sort of. Accidental. What happened with you guys? I well, forgot. honestly, um, and this this is something that I don't think was ever planned in the office, but there was something, there was scuttlebutt on Twitter that I was going to join the Dark Order, that I was leading the Dark Order. And this all came about organically. Angel. Yeah. Makes sense. So, so the whole thing came up online and Matt Jackson um, decided, oh, you know, we should sort of lean into this. Let's do something let's do something with dark order and SCU. And, um, we, we played a little bit with the idea that I might join dark order, that I was actually the exalted one. And, and when we found out that Brody was going to come in, like we had set up this, the situation where I was going to wrestle, uh, Stu one week. And then the next week I would wrestle Uno. And the way it turned out, like the week Brody, debuted was going to be in Rochester, which was yeah. his hometown, right? Mm-hmm. Or it, yep. like, it, from yeah. where, yep. where he's yep. from yep. anyway. And so, um, like, the this was the week that the pandemic sh- shut everything down. Like, the last live event that we did outside of Jacksonville was the night I wrestled Stu. Salt Lake City. Right, Salt March Lake City. 11th. So, wow. like, the next week would have been me versus Uno, which would have been the debut. Like, the idea was going to be, yeah. I beat Uno, I tell him there is no exalted one right. that's all a lie and then here comes Brody and Brody's supposed to debut and waylay me so um you know the pandemic threw all that into disarray but you then, still did do that here in Jacksonville right right yeah, yeah yeah like two months like once the lockdown ended for the California guys and we were back um they decided to gotcha. do the match and it was a little change because they had already announced that Brody was going to challenge John for the world title at the pay-per-view so this was sort of like the last uh, the go home show for the pay per view was me and him in the main event, Brody. and I remember Brody, me and Brody. No, you, you main, main event, brother. brother. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, but I remember, uh, you know, the fact. Yeah, I, I remember the fact. Um, like I had never, I remember meet. I I didn't remember meeting Brody when we were on the Indies together, but he, I must have because he came here and he was like, oh yeah, we saw each other in. You know, uh, Brazzle Draft Pro Wrestling in, in <laughs> you know, oh that was a good uh, yeah, in Flushing, Flushing, New payday. York. But um, I had gotten to be a fan of his stuff when he was up there, especially the stuff that he did with AJ. Um, you know, because I always watch AJ's stuff, 
and um, I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm, I've, been in, I've been wrestling longer than him, but he's got that experience that I never got, and right. so I didn't want to, I wanted to have a good match with him, and I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to be like, oh, who's this kid? <laughs> so, um, and the funny thing was, like, the match was all about him. It was all about, because we were leading to that pay-per-view match, but I remember when we were putting it together, he was like, yeah, it's, it's about me, but it's about us. And um, he let me do all the stuff uh, that I want to do. And we, you know, putting the match together, we were sort of on the same page. Like, um, you know, we, we all knew what the ending was going to be, but we, we found ways to sort of, of dip and dodge and, and have a good time. And, and after the fact, uh, after it aired on television, I got a text from him. He was like, hey, man, thanks so much for doing business with me. And I was like, that's all I need. Yeah, that, I mean. Just getting that from him meant a lot. Just the kind of know? guy he was, exactly. too. Exactly. He, he was very proud of the match. Oh, I yeah. told, I, I, we weren't here yet, but I watched it on television, right. and I texted him and told him what I thought. And, you know, I said, you look like, the, at this time, I was like, your stuff looks so crisp, and you were, you know, look brutal, and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And he was so proud of that match. Uh, and then he finished with, but I let him hit me with all of his moves, and I still kicked out. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Dax, what are your uh, final uh, thoughts on Brody? Uh, so we've had a, a lot of fun here, and I told this story on um, on my Twitter, but I think this encapsulates like uh, what Brody is and what his family is. Um, but my wife and I had a miscarriage about three years ago, and uh, I didn't tell very many people. I, I told Cash and obviously my mom and dad, but I didn't tell anyone in wrestling except for Brody and Amanda uh, because they had kind of went through, through the same situation. Um, and immediately he called me and immediately Amanda called Maria, my wife. And, uh, they let us know that because my wife was very embarrassed by that because when that happens to a woman, um, she thinks she did something wrong. And then I start second guessing too. Well, did, could I have done something? And they let us know that this is normal, that this happens all the time and it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do what, with what you did or didn't do. And they would call for weeks and check up on us. And they would send us flowers. And they would send us cards and, get, and, and care packages. And just to make sure that we knew that we did nothing wrong, that they went through the same situation, as, uh, and so did millions of other people. And that's the kind of person he, and that's the kind of people he and Amanda are. They care. They really do care. And in a world that we come from, again, like I said, where we're so many insecure guys and you do form friendships and bonds with guys, but sometimes you don't know when it's genuine. And I know from the first day that I met him until the last day that I talked to him, he was genuine. And, she, and obviously Amanda is too. I think he may be the most genuine human being I've ever met. Um, and I hope fans know that about him. Cash. Oh man, uh, I'm just thankful I got to spend any time with him at all. You know, sorry. Okay, That's why we're here, brother. I think it's uh, shit. It's okay. We we've we've spent so long so so long in our lives trying to be tough, mm. and and uh, we we had a group text with Big E and Kofi. And uh, we told him that, like, we've spent so long, all of us as men, you know, have spent so long trying to be tough and, and trying to have this exterior. And uh, that'll never happen again. That, that, I'll never go a day without telling someone that I love them, that I love them. Yeah. Um, this has happened to me more than I would like to. I'm sure. I yeah. Years ago. You never go a day without not taking the picture, not 
give my brother a hug or a, I love you or whatever it may be, you know what I mean? It's made me realize that everyone that I'm close to now, obviously at some point, either they're going to lose me or I'm going to lose them. Yeah. And you, you learn to appreciate them in the moment way more. Yeah. You don't take it for granted. Um, I think it's a testament to his legacy how many people have a John story, a Brody story, a Harper story. Everybody has something to show how good of a person he was or how funny he was or how much he cared. Nobody has a story where like, oh, he tried to screw me over. It's every, no, he, no. he tried to help everybody. He wanted to be the best wrestler, the best father, the best husband, the best brother, the best son that he could possibly be. And I think you're seeing that right now because the amount of love across the board and the amount of unity that I'm seeing in wrestling is not something that you can ignore. So I think uh, I want to say also, like, I think it's a testament again to how much people respected him that the whole AEW roster knew for almost two months. Good point. And nobody said anything. No. It never got out. And the day, eight weeks and not, no one said a word. When we found out, I immediately, like, once the shock wore off, I thought, man, somebody's going to say something. And, I, and like, I started getting upset thinking about somebody saying something. But each day that went by, I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't read anything. And nobody said a fucking word. And that's because they respected him and they respect Amanda and his family so much that in the year where everything's at your fingertips and you can get any information you want in a split second, no one said a word. And that's because they loved him, they respect him, and they will do anything they could for him. CD, any final? Yeah, um, I had, uh, it, it occurred to me at the beginning of the year that there were folks that thought that I was the exalted one. That was the storyline that we started to go with. And um, hearing all the stories uh, of guys like Cash and, and David here that knew John and knew not just the wrestler that he was, but the father that he was, the person that he was. I realized that he's the type of person, wrestler, father that I strive to be and fail every day. You know, he's the type of guy that I want to. I want to be, and um, you know, it's it's uh, like you said, it's a testament to him as a person that everyone has come out with all of the, the positive stories and all the positive ways that John touched their lives, not just in the ring, but outside of the ring, um, as Amanda's husband, as Brody's father, as Nolan's father. Um, it's just, uh, it, it, it really hits you, and it really hits you uh, to think that a person like that was taken. Yeah. A person like that lived amongst us and, and is taken. And I'm, I'm, I regret that that I didn't hang out with him more, that I didn't get a chance to talk to him more. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm jealous of the time that these guys got to spend with him. I'll end it on this, and this, this describes everything. Uh, John came over to my house in March after he first came here, and uh, I have a dog, a silver lab called Oakley. I saw you post about yeah. that, and, uh, and she, I'll say now that I broke down. She barks at everybody, especially big guys. She does not like Big Jake I mean, look came at over. Him. Neighbor's kid, bark, 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 bark. John walked in. Oakley came over, started licking his hand, stuck, hung all around him, didn't bark, nothing. And I was like, that's, that's John Huber right there. <laughs> the angriest dog in the world still figured out he was a good brother right, from the right, moment right. they met. Probably because he looked like a wild animal, <laughs> yeah, too. Right.